Today is Monday, April 24th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Prophecies of the Second Coming. Did Jesus fulfill them all? Where are they mentioned? In the Old Testament. Uh, Let's see. (laughs) Ask a Christian gets weird. Uh, There's someone I recently met that, um, you know, seems like an interesting Christian, and uh, we like her. She uh, she contributes a lot, and you know we have a good good dialogue. Uh, today <laughs> we learned that she apparently believes in Christian mysticism, whatever that is, and reincarnation and universalism. I'm like, well, I can't quite go all the way there, so I, we're just going to disagree a little bit. But you can civilly disagree and tell people they're dead wrong while doing it nicely. Check out the book AAC book on uh, Amazon.com to learn just how to do that, to have civil discussions with people who differ from you and uh, remain faithful to your convictions all at the same time. Then we talk about open theism and what it takes for someone to be a marshmallow, which which I was just thinking was like a squishy Christian, maybe too too loving or too, too passive or easygoing. Uh, turns out it means marshmallow as in roasting in the fires of hell. So I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Silly me. Um, anyway. So we talk about that. We talk about the Calvinism and non-Calvinism positions on things and how the case I make is practically it's irrelevant and everyone just get on the same page and go share the message of Christ. Um, great. So also you can support the podcast through the link to PayPal in the video or podcast description. And you can check out the Ask a Christian merchandise store and get some, I don't know, get a mouse pad, get a coffee cup, whatever. Uh, get something to support the podcast and share your faith and the hope you have and why you have it. So, have an awesome Monday, and see you all later. Um, like in general, or something new? I guess it's nothing new. Um, well, I don't want to ask you a very difficult question, but, okay, so Jesus is the foretold Messiah, However, he doesn't fulfill the messianic prophecies, or does he? Well, of course. I mean, you would have, maybe Chris wants to speak, but uh, I mean, you still have Judaism because the people who are observant Jews would argue and say because of some reason that they would give you that he, he cannot be the Messiah because X, Y, Z. All the people, including the Jewish people who are you know messianic Jews, i.e. Christians, uh, believe Jesus is the Messiah, all of them would argue against him and say, no, no, he actually did fulfill the prophecies. That's why Jesus is the Messiah. So within Judaism, you know, you, you have a split right there. So, I mean, there, there's arguments both ways. Obviously, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. That's why I'm a Christian, because I believe he fulfilled all these prophecies. So, I, I mean, I don't know what else I can say other than, yeah, people argue both ways. I happen to believe okay. he did fulfill all the prophecies. <laughs> All right. Uh, particularly, there's no mention of him, of the second coming. Well, what do you mean? Is there anything in the Tanakh that he will come in the flesh and then die and, ri- and rise again? <clears throat> um, let's see. The first thing I think of is t- it talks about like curse of someone who hangs on a tree. Um, to recall every prophecy that would have anything to do with the second coming off the top of my head. I'm going to need some time. There's like 430 prophecies. I okay. unfortunately don't have all of them memorized, but maybe Chris does. Chris. I'm eating right now. I can't talk yeah, right so, now. Yeah, so the <laughs> prophecies.
prophecies of good morning. <laughs> um, the prophecies of the uh, second coming are. Is it? Is my mic really bad or something? No, you're good. You're good. Okay. I just. <laughs> I didn't know you're allowed. Are you? Are you, Oh, I guess you're laughing at CEO because his mic is so bad. Um. Yeah. So the prophecies of the second coming, Joanna, are you know prophecies about you know, the, the two different messiahs that you can kind of see throughout the Tanakh, right? We've got Messiah ben David and Messiah ben Joseph. And so when we're talking about Messiah ben Joseph, that is the first coming. When we're talking about Messiah ben David and all of the prophecies having to do with being a conquering ruler and all that other stuff, that is the second coming in the Tanakh. All right, let me look that up. Is it in Isaiah? Well, so, so this is in rabbinical teaching before the second century. You're going to find two different descriptions of Messiah. They thought there might have even been two Messiahs that would come. Messiah ben Joseph and Messiah ben David. So if you start looking that up, you're going to get a bit more information as to All right, how I'll look it up. Works. Thank you. I, I actually went to a Messiah meal um, last two, about two weeks ago um, when I had when I had hoped to go to a Passover actually just because I was craving that food <laughs> and ritual a little bit um, and it was the meal was uh, hosted by um, Messianic Jewish people so that that distinction does exist and I still don't quite understand how uh that how their beliefs differ um i mean i don't i don't want to summarize incorrectly but um it's 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 probably complicated and i don't understand it um, so, because they do, they do believe in jesus but but do you, do you have some idea uh yeah with the ones we spoke with here not to speak for everyone who calls themselves messianic jew but, hang on, listen to me cough. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, the people I've spoke with who call themselves Messianic Jews, um, I mean, they, they keep, like, customs and traditions, like, not for salvation, but because it's, you know, their heritage, their culture, so, like, they pay attention to, like, the, the culture stuff and the feasts and things like that, I think. But the, the big thing is, as far as theology and belief, there's no difference. They, they only call themselves Messianic Jew because they don't want to call themselves a Christian, because if they call themselves a Christian, even though the beliefs are identical, faith alone in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection to save you and give you eternal life, even though they believe exactly how I would say I do as a Christian, um, they would say, well, then that, that would be like leaving Judaism and going after another religion when their religion is Judaism. They're just following Judaism the way they see it, the proper way, which means you know they had before the law, then they had the law, then Jesus came, he was the Messiah, he fulfilled the law. So they would say, no, no, we are Jews just the way, this is how Judaism should be. But the Jews who didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, they're still stuck in Orthodox Judaism, while we are you know, truly following Judaism as it should be followed. So that, that's, that's why a lot of them don't say they're Christians, because they're like, no, we're Jews. This is just how any Jew should be. They recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They put their faith in him and they follow him. So belief-wise, they're Christian. But the way I just explained it, they'll say Messianic Jew, which is exactly the same thing belief-wise. Thank you for 
Thank you for offering that. Um, anecdotally, I did know, I became friend, I visited a Messianic Jewish um, temple several times, and I became friends with a, a young woman there who had been raised Christian. And and by say um, by young, I mean she was like 25, you know. But she, it turned out in, in conversation, it came out that she had thought that the Holy Spirit was really only active in biblical times. And that shocked me because, uh, and I mean, it was sort of sad because like, that's, that's a major, that's part of my understanding of how we can speak about what Jesus would do if he were to live in this, in these times, you know, because the Holy Spirit is living in these, like this all is still, all of this time is still touched by the works of Ruach, right? Yeah, and again, not you know, not that she has the claim on messianic Judaism, but yeah, I mean, undoubtedly within that group, you're going to find some who you know lean more uh, one way or another. So even though you know the core belief, you know, Jesus is the same as as a Christian, with how many different types of Christian you have. So yeah, you would have some like you know one of the guys that says he's a messianic Jew is very much more, um, very much Holy Spirit aware, uh, versus someone else that may may not be. Like may, maybe it would be like a um, some would lead more toward like Calvinism and some more like Arminianism, but still the core belief, Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, faith alone in him would be the same. Thank you. That, that's, that's one of my, that's one of my major um, interests, if you will, is how the Holy Spirit is still working in all time, these times included. So, uh, Nate, would you put Peter more close to Messianic Jew or Christian? Like Disciple Peter? Yes, correct. Well, I mean, without terminology, um, like, let's see, they were first called Christians in Antioch. Um, I'm not immediately aware if Peter had any say in that decision or if he would have been aware of it. But I mean, I know like, you know, that was the first time the word Christian was used to, to call that of disciples of Christ. And, you know, could that be a, a term that like, I don't know the, uh, oh, here comes Sean, he has something to say about it. But yeah, so that's all I know is in the Bible, it says they were first called Christians at Antioch. I don't know if they, if like Christians came up with that name by themselves or someone else is like, no, no, we're not gonna call you Jews. We're gonna call you Christians. Um, but I can imagine that you know the disciples who were Jews would be like, no no Jesus is the Messiah we're we're totally Jews we're just following this the right way we're following our Messiah let's see if uh, Sean has something to add what do you think Sean <clears throat> uh well we don't hear oh, Sean hold on hold on oh, good morning hear Sean good morning, good morning everyone uh so I hope everyone had a pleasant Sunday uh all the writers of the New Testament are Jews save Luke, who wrote, who wrote Luke and Acts. As, uh, so as far as knowing, they just deal with the culture. Uh, Paul, who whose Jewishness he's never, he never uh, leaves, but he understands there's a difference between cultures um, one of the one of the beautiful things that I've learned down through the years is I understand cultures because some cultures are different 
and being a being American and I went over to Korea, South Korea. The I saw things be, and played the ugly American because I saw two men and two women walking hand in hand. Guess what it found wound up being? Oh a yeah, a son, a mother and a daughter, two sisters, two brothers, uncle and nephew, grandson, grand, uh, granddad, stuff like that. They had that is their way of showing expression of affection towards one another. Yet we, we, I thought it was something else. I thought it was homosexuality. And then guess what? I was, I had, I found up, I'm having to apologize after being corrected that way because I didn't understand culture. Uh, Damn, so, the Jewish so culture, yeah. yeah, is totally different from. It's, it's not totally different. I I watched uh, Greg Hirschberg out of Macon, Georgia, who migrated from New York. It's obvious in his accent. Uh He's a he's a messianic Jewish pastor, and you can still hear uh, he talks about the traditions of the fathers and all these things. But he says Christ is preeminent. It goes back, and of course they're going to use the name Yeshua Hamashiach, and nothing wrong with that. Uh, what I think is so so many times. In our Western mindsets, we play the ugly American and, and get a lot, get a little bit prideful, and, and instead of taking time to understand the culture, we think it should always go our way, and that's when we make big mistakes. Well, did you have any insight on the actual question he asked about, like the, uh, like who came up with Christian? I know in the Bible it says they were first called Christians, at, like Antioch. Do you have any insight what as I to understand, who came up with that? Uh, from what I understand, it was done as an insult, a mocking. So they probably didn't name themselves that. Okay, that's no, they didn't name themselves. No, and of course, they were first. The key word is they. Right, they were first they called Christians in Antioch. There's actually no ancient sources that say that Christian was a slur. Um, you know that's a that's a more popular thing that was put forth, I think, in the 19th century. But um, you know the the idea, though, of calling themselves Christians or the way was accepted by all Christians, Jewish and, and non-Jewish. I think that the more recent appellation of Messianic Jews calling themselves Messianic Jews is because there is so much baggage now associated with the word Christian where there would not have been in for the first century. Make sense? Yeah. I mean, that's how like some Christians I met will, will call themselves like Jesus believer. So it sounds weird. It sounds like some cult, but then when you talk to them, they're like, no man, I'm actually Christian. Just how you are. Um, I just don't like the term because as soon as I say it, like everyone jumps down my throat because of like the circles yeah, I mean, or whatever. I could, I'm like, yeah, okay, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, I, I get, believers now. So it's like I just welcome yeah. the challenge, but I mean, I guess if you want to, you know, sidestep it, then I guess sure, Jesus believer, me too. I mean, the the thing about it is that the term Christian is an honored term. 
And so people died to be called Christian, and it really dishonors, you know, a lot of martyrs to reject the label Christian. And so there are a lot of people that are like, no, the label Christian's terrible. And I'm like, look, man, there's a lot of cultural baggage that comes along with it. Just deal with it. Because there are thousands and thousands of people who gave their lives for the word Christian. And we should honor oh, yeah. that. I, I mean, I agree. That's a good point. I mean, like lots of, uh, you know, like lots of, um, lots of other things that could stand to be reclaimed. Like instead of, you know, cutting and running, like, you know, work to reclaim the term or reclaim the word. And so just being, okay, you can have it, you can have it now, you can have this thing, you can have that thing. Be like, well, no, you know, certain people fought and I guess in this case died for it. So, you know, instead of just calling yourself something else and running, why don't you, you know, work to make this name mean what it should mean? I could, I concur because the name Christian does mean follow Christ. But uh, we also see, I, I recommend everyone read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can download it for free on the internet. Just read it. And you will see these early, the first four, three, 300 years of Christianity. And even during the time of um, when the papacy came into real power, uh, there was some things going on for the name of Christ. People being dipped in, dipped in oil and being set on fire to be a lamp to light up the city of Rome. Nero was something else. wonder how he's doing now. I don't think he's doing too good. Um, are we, <laughs> I mean, you know, don't want to be judging, but are we having like a, an LGBTQI plus peace be upon you uh, hookup going on in chat? <laughs> What's going on, Rich and uh, Sammy? Uh -huh. you, you guys working out your issues in there? I think they're like playing matchmaking line or something. Hey, I'm, Sammy, welcome. I'm I'm just I'm just having a bit of fun with Rich. It's not I'm just I'm just messing around. It's it's very I'm just I'm, tro I'm trolling him basically. It's not it's not a big deal. I just looked at the chat. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah, not playing the dating game on here. <laughs> no, it's it's called the trolling game. It's not the dating game. It's the trolling game. Okay, it's it's very simple. <laughs> the devil does not need advocates, Sammy. I'm not advocating for anything. I'm tro I'm trolling. Being a troll is being a troll uh, is similar. So Wait, whoa, 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 the whoa, whoa. peacemakers, the Wait. peacemakers, be a peacemaker. Don't you think Christ yeah, is a so little trolling? By, by the way, don't you think the New Testament has a bit of trolling in there? You can make that case as like you know, lighthearted trolling, not mean, vicious trolling. Uh, Joanna, did you, did that answer your question about the uh, that, or do you have anything else? Well, no, it didn't answer my question at all. But um, it's okay. Well, wait. How? You said, did Christ fulfill the prophecies? And then Chris went on to the, you know, the two types of Messiah and, you know, like gave an answer. So, I mean, I, I, I feel like if I, were, if I were asked that question and someone said, well, did he answer? I would say, well, well, yes, he definitely gave an answer. But if I didn't agree, I'd say, but I don't agree with the answer. I, I wouldn't say that he totally didn't answer my question at all. I, I'm a little shocked by that. I wouldn't have expected that. Right. Well, I'm not going to say yes, just to... Um... So then when you say you agree that he did give an answer, you just disagree or unsatisfied with the answer? Yeah, he gave an answer. It was vague. I don't see any scriptures uh, pertaining to it. I'm looking. Um, but no, it wasn't an, it was an answer, but it was not uh, a, a concrete answer. There's no scriptures um, pertaining 
to this. So, Joanna, well, I, think... I sent you a back channel that has all the details. Oh, well, then thank you. Okay, I'll give you a few minutes to look up that back channel, and uh, then well, I'll ask that question again. <laughs> so, there, so, according to you, Chris, and hi, CEO, uh, there are clear-cut scriptures. Because if this is a matter of life and death, you can go to heaven or hell. I think God could have, you know, laid it out very clearly um, when the Savior came, what he would do. And um, he did. And he did not. Well, he, he did. It's just that people okay. don't understand how to, well, I mean, we have an entire class right now on how to read, observe, interpret, and apply the scripture. And... We can even do a, sec a, a secondary class on how to read, period, because I think most people in Western countries um, have been taught postmodernism, and they are unable to functionally read. They're not functionally literate any longer. Okay, um, well, I'll just say one more. the worst ones are PhDs in English uh, literature. PhDs in English literature are the most illiterate people in our societies. Uh, well, you said I'm you not... had one more thing? Yeah. Uh... So Peter, who was a Jew and was probably familiar with the Tanakh, right? I mean, we don't know, but uh, so when Jesus told Peter that um, he was going to die, what did Peter say? He said, you'll never die. Far be it for me. You'll never die. Right. So why was he not familiar that that was the mission? That's why he was born, was to die for our sins. I was just wondering why Peter didn't even know that. Well, did he not know it, or was he? I mean, we see P Peter has kind of a history of being in a letting his, his emotions kind of lead him. Um, so, who's to say the Bible doesn't give us the inner workings of Peter's mind why he did that? Like, if he's like, which I mean, you read the rest of the story, and Jesus is like, no, no, look, I have to die. No one's killing me. I'm laying down my life. I can take it up again. And then, you know, you don't hear Peter continue to protest. You don't hear Peter continue to say, no, no, that's not how it's going to how it's going to be. After he gets rebuked, he he can't he rebuked. He falls in line. So. I think if someone's going to read in the mind of Peter, um, based on the evidence we actually have, the Bible, um, I would say it would go something like modern speak. It's like, oh, no, you're not going to die. No, you're my best friend. You're my savior. I don't want to die. I want you to die, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, no, get behind me, Satan. By the way, he didn't say Peter. He said Satan. So was was Peter being played by some malevolent force? Um, and it really wasn't like what Peter would say, but it was some malevolent force, like, you know, messing with Peter, causing him to do that. There's another point. But then Jesus is like, no, no, this, is, this has to happen. This is going to happen. And then Peter's like, oh, you're right. Things are snapping me out of it. I don't know where my head was. And he's like, here, have a Snickers. So, I mean, you know, without, without reading the mind of Peter um, or without knowing the mind of Peter, if we're going to read into why, we, we can't rightfully just jump to he had no idea Jesus had to die. Um, I think based on the evidence, it would lead the other way. Nate, that was a really good, like, uh, short story. You should write that script formally and, and produce it. Um, Joanna, we'll call good it morning. the Chosen Season 4. <laughs> Joanna, um, good morning. And um, you're, you're a very empathetic person. I admire you for that. And I, I think what Nate's saying, and it's fair, is put yourself in Peter's shoes. You've rolled with this person for three years. You spent so much time with them. They say we're going to die. You might have an emotional reaction to it. Well, I never thought of that, so thank you, C.E. Well, and, and the other thing, too, is the disciples, even after Jesus raised from the dead, still did not understand Messianic prophecy. 
No, they clearly did not. Correct. So what happened was in Acts 1-6, they were asking Jesus, oh, is now when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus is just kind of, you can see him kind of facepalm and like, it's it's just, it's in the text. You can hear him like, just kind of say, <laughs> it is not the time for, it is for me to know the times, not you Muppets. And I will tell you what's going on. And then in Acts 1-8, he tells them that they're going to go out into all the world. You know, he's going to start in Jerusalem, Samaria, uh, and then uh, Judea, and then the ends of the earth. Um, you know, and that is that is the thesis of the book of Acts, is Acts 1-8. But in Acts 1-6, they still didn't understand. They spent 40 days with him after he raised from the dead, learning from him, and him going through the prophecies. And he went and talked to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he went through all of the scriptures in the Tanakh to show that the Messiah must suffer and die. And even then they still didn't get it because the, the interpretations that had been given by the rabbis were so far off and so wrong that they could not have anticipated what the actual prophecies meant. We, we were just discussing this in my small church group last night. And, and wondering about that, why they didn't recognize him. And I heard some pretty good, plausible theories as well. Like if he had gone through three days of, you know, being dead, uh, his aura might've looked different or some, you know, he might've healed in some way that he radiated differently. And, and as well as, I mean, just adding that to the, to the bag of how that could have been possible that they did not recognize him. I mean, I do think sometimes overall, like our modern look at it lacks perspective. Like uh, my, my favorite example of this is like people who are critical of uh, Peter for falling into the water. Uh, for me, it's like he had the faith to get out of a boat and even try to walk on water. So that, to me, isn't amazing of itself. But it, it, it seems like sometimes we are just critical and do not put ourselves in their shoes and in their eyes. Well, yeah, it's like uh, it, it's funny, right? Because someone brought that up recently, and they're like, "Look, all the all the like naysayers, and you know, everyone like gives Peter a hard time. They're like, oh, he didn't even have faith.' I'm like, wait, besides, you know, Jesus." Like, Peter's the only actual person in the history of the universe to have walked on water. So, while everyone else is like, oh, look, Peter sink, Peter sink, it's like, yeah, well, I guess we did nothing. So, we didn't even try. So, yeah, boy, Peter. That's a really good point. He got out of the boat. You didn't see John or, you know... Nathaniel jumping out into the water and running over to Jesus either. OMG. <laughs> Amazing that you say that because my late pastor, uh, the man actually brought me to Christ, uh, Pastor Carl Means, uh, actually use that same analogy that you just did. <laughs> so you just brought a great, great memory back to me. And, I mean, he, he was, and basically he was like, of y'all teased as, uh, as, the, as the, uh, the disciples are teasing Peter. 
He points and says, wait a minute. John, you laid on his breast. <laughs> you laid on his breast. You his blood. You the closest one to us of all of them. But I'm the one guy you had the faith to get up out of there. And James, you Jesus' brother. <laughs> Why didn't you get out there? <laughs> so, I'm, I'm directly quoting him. I know he was wrong about James being Jesus' brother right there. That wasn't the same James. But... <laughs> But it's mighty funny that uh, you brought that back. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, our pastor brought that up on uh, Saturday, you know, when I was following the proper Sabbath. <clears throat> Not for religious reasons, just because Saturday is way more convenient. <laughs> Are you a golfer, Nate? <laughs> wow, you don't know me at all. <laughs> no one would ever accuse me of that. I don't think Nate would even know what the shape of a golf ball is. <laughs> I mean, the one I'll throw at you, but uh, no. Like, if they had golf, like, I don't know, on a, a nice cloudy afternoon day where there is, like, no sunburn or anything like that, I'd be a lot more inclined to play golf. But, yeah, getting up early, ugh. I, I hate mornings. I hate everything about it, especially to go walk around, like, a field and swing at a ball. Like, that's, that is not fun for me at all. Sorry to all you golf people. I knew some golfers that went to Saturday evening services and that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I just, I just cannot stand mornings. Like when you get up and like the dew's still on the ground where most people are probably say something like, Oh, it makes me feel alive. I'm in touch with nature. I'm like, Ew, because it's like, you know, and then as the day goes on, it's like you get the best in the beginning when it's like cool. But then as things start heating up, it's like that humid, wet, the dew is evaporating and everything's starting to get warmer and brighter. And, you know, I'm sure a good Christian would probably like that stuff, but I, I just, none of that appeals to me. I'm like, no, I like dark, I like cloudy, I like rainy, you know, makes me feel alive. <laughs> have, I, have I just painted a, a picture of me living in like Castlevania or something? Yeah, or Seattle, I think I heard, I heard. I did live there. Yes, that's why I moved there, because I heard it was like dark and cloudy all the time. So I moved there and I lived there for a year and it was awesome. And the only reason I left is because of all the uh, non-landscape type stuff. Like it was incredibly crowded and busy and crazy. Um, huh. But yeah, if I could, if I could have found a way, yeah. It, and this was like 20, this is like 20 something years ago. Or Why didn't now, you just uh, move to Portland? You could have been like the king of chop. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> Wait, but, did, uh, did yeah. you say Castlevania? Yeah, he's yeah. going back to the '90s video games now. That's what I'm thinking of. That's a, that was a video game from the '80s. <laughs> that was Nintendo. an awesome yeah. game. It was fabulous. Simon <clears throat> Belmont, everybody. Yes, I'm a nerd. Simon Belmont. Just saying. So wait, wait, is that, that game. Yeah. What? Wait, 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 was Castlevania? Is that a, is? I'm confused. Is this like a, an actual city? <laughs> Or are you just referring to the game? I was referring to the game. I think I meant to say oh, okay. Transylvania, but then I had that picture oh, of Castlevania, oh, okay. like you know, the, the like creepy yeah, gothic yeah, yeah. castle okay, and like a stormy you. cliff. Do you guys do you guys want to all buy some land together in the middle of somewhere and we could call it Castlevania and spin up our own city? Awesome. Is it gonna look like that or is it gonna be like some weird Chris thing where we call it Castlevania and it's like a utopia of like bright skies and like tulip fields? I mean I enjoy tulip. <laughs> Does you resemble that remark? 
Touche. <laughs> Touche, pussycat. Do you remember, like, the question God? Tommy Jerry, y'all, y'all don't know. <laughs> you, you, oh, you, I know. You can't bring up Castlevania, man, with an 80s kid and expect I'm not going to ask follow-up questions. Just saying. I just <laughs> the, the Grim Reaper, did you get the boomerangs, the three boomerangs? That's how you would kill the, the Grim Reaper. Remember that, anybody? No? I yes. don't. I, I, I remember the boomerangs. From that game. So, um... Did you guys know, fun fact, the, you know, the Netflix series Stranger Things? So the characters in that movie would be my exact age today. The characters in the show Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they were all born in around 1972. And, uh, you know, the, the setting of the show is when they're, you know, like 12 or 13. And now they're like, I don't know, 25 because it just went on so long. But you know, yeah. I was an eighties kid. I mean I was an eighties kid too, but like, you know, I was born in seventy two, so well, eighty two I was, I was ten. Yeah, I was born in the eighties. Yeah. So then you're really a nineties kid because they're not like really doing kid stuff. Like you're just like a baby, you know, from like whatever birth until like, like seven 80s. or eight right and then you're experiencing culture when you're around nine ten eleven twelve thirteen that would be your formative years right let's put it this way chris before my good christian conversion i would have been asking you to buy liquor for me when i was too young too I, is it I your would. birthday chris what's that is it your birthday today yeah no. Happy birthday! Happy no, birthday! No, 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 happy birthday. Hey, to you! Happy birthday! To you! Uh, no. Happy birthday! It's um, no, my birthday is August 29th. Oh, you just want? I'd love to break into some Stevie Wonder. What's <laughs> 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 Stevie Wonder song? Did he? Does he have a happy, happy birthday song? Happy birthday to you! Happy okay, birthday! Yay, you did it anyway. I'm so glad. Hey guys, what happens when the only thing you have on stage is Christians? This. Yeah, well, that's what happens. Everybody has a good time. You want to talk about I, I, substitutionary atonement or federal headship? We can. Well, I invited Son to, to mix things up. We'll see if Son wants to come. How, how about. Oh, uh, oh wait, um, wait how I got about... a serious question. Wait. I'm sorry, go on, Marie. I was going to ask. I, was, I had a I serious say, question, though. But... How about something topical like. Um, but uh, uh, the rates of incarceration in an America. Uh, let's see what everyone's everyone's question is, <laughs> yeah. and uh, then we'll I don't know anything we'll about that topic. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, then, and then we'll pick the winner. So, Edward, can I just your want, question beat yeah. that. Sure, I just want to sound sophisticated, like I know a lot about theology to use this word. So that's my, one of my motivations. Superlapsarianism, Chris. What are your thoughts, or Nate? I'd rather talk about incarceration. No, I mean, look, it's just, it's the Lapsarians, like the Supra. What is it first, please? What is this topic? Well, I'm, I'm trying to tell you. So, so what all it is, is God's, the order of God's decree, right? So when we're talking about God's decree for the fall, did God decree the fall prior to the fall? Or did God decree, you know, uh, 
at the fall that it would occur or after the fall. No one thinks that he decreed it after the fall, as that wouldn't make any sense. So it's the order of God's decree. Did he did he ordain the fall before he created the universe or after he created the universe? And you know, there are implications on both sides for theology. Um I don't really have a dog in the fight because I haven't gone that deeply into it. I so part of my uh, when I was an, an agnostic, um, <clears throat> part of my experience was that I met this guy through social media, and he sent me a, a an article or not an article, an essay um, that I volunteered to read and then uh, you know offered some edits, but the title was called "Get Philosophucked." And in it, he he posited this very provocative idea. Uh, if God was perfect, why would God have a need to create anything? And at its core, that's like, oh, well, that's kind of a good point. So <laughs> um, <clears throat> anybody want to float that? Um, why, why did God create at all? Why not just sit in perfect perfection yeah that's a good question i mean god didn't oh i thought i've been on mute this whole time i'll go on nate i thought i was was trying to speak i thought i was speaking this whole time i'm like why am i being ignored don't they like me well first of all about the incarceration private prisons am i right Uh, about this um you're like were you like this is a good point i'm like wait is it really um like i i guess like like as i as i hear that without trying to be offensive which means i'm going to be offensive um no, it's not a good point. Like I can just imagine someone saying, well, if it's really perfect, then perfect means perfect, and perfect doesn't need anything done. So if God's perfect, there's no reason to do anything, even if he wants to, because it's perfect. That's exactly the tone of voice I hear that thought trail in. Um, so, but, well, no, perfect means, I mean, perfect means everything is perfect, but if God's like, hey, I want to do this today, it doesn't mean that things weren't perfect before. You can have perfect uh, with God creating less or more stuff. Like, you know, perfect is perfect. It doesn't mean that you do something different there can be multiple perfects or there can be multiple trails that don't interfere with the perfection of one over the other. Like just because God wants to do one thing extra, one thing less, one thing different has nothing to do with the inherent perfectness of it. And if they try to make the case that no perfect means if you do anything different, it's not perfect. Cause if it was perfect, you wouldn't need to do anything different Then just go whine to a philosopher in college that your parents pay for. Like no one's got time for that. I don't want to have time for that. That's my thought. Praise Jesus. Can, can I chime in, Nate? Or, yeah, yeah. I'll try to be concise. Yeah, God. Oh, we know God doesn't didn't need to create, you know, anything. He doesn't need anything outside of Himself. It was just, I, I would say, it's His good pleasure. It was His good pleasure to create, to create people made in His image. All human beings are made in God's image, and it was His good. Uh, it's a manifestation. Yeah, that was His His good pleasure to have. He wants a family. That's ultimately, I think, why when God created Adam and Eve, you know, his son and, and daughter, and God takes pleasure just having a, a family. He just was not, you know, that's how I'd argue. And so you would say, well, why did he need to do that? Why does he want to do that? Well, it's just, it's, it's God, and God is infinitely greater than us. We have our finite minds, and God's free to uh, create, you know, a creation and to take pleasure in it and to have relationships with people. Anyway, that's it. For- that just earned my follow, Edwin. Thank you. You're welcome. Son, are you speaking today? Yeah, yeah, I um, I agree with Mari. I think it's a worthy consideration. 
you know, why would a perfect, if, if a God's a perfect being, um, and you're judging him, so there has to be some kind of standard you're using to judge him, unless you're just judging him against himself. And if you're judging him against himself, then you might as well be able to ask, why would he need anything at all? And it sounds totally reasonable to think that it sounds kind of incoherent to believe that a perfect being would need to create a sinful nature. Well, well now we've gone from creating anything to now creating with a sinful nature. Well, and I say, you know, I mean, the Bible story is God didn't create with a sinful nature. That's oh, something his, the, the created did. Oh, they created it. So they were the creators in the garden? Of the sinful nature? If yeah. they hadn't done the one thing God said don't do, then they right. would not have a sinful nature. Do you think that uh, Satan being in the garden helped them have a sinful nature? Or do you think that they would have still not, they, they would have maybe not had a sinful nature if it weren't for Satan being in the garden? Without having any way to prove this, I personally think, given enough time, anyone would have eventually done what God said not to do, just because on an infinite timeline, it's hard to say never, like never say never. So right. just applying applying what we would apply today, like in the interest of, yeah, if they had enough time to just exist, yeah. everyone eventually would yeah. have done it at some point. Yeah, yeah. so you think that's kind of an inevitable result of creating, right? Well, yeah, maybe it would have. Yeah. I, I mean, again, that's not to there say that, yeah. that's not. No, th there you don't. Go. Yeah, we agree. I mean, I said it, we agree. It's, well, I want to be sure because I'm not saying that's an absolute. I'm saying that's my suspicion. Yeah, it's my so, suspicion, you know, we too. Could both be wrong. I think God could have gotten away with not creating. Sure. Well, yeah. But I mean, that of has course. nothing to do with perfection or imperfection. Gotta well, I mean, yeah, yeah but that's just that, now we're just playing semantics and opinion games because I could just say, well, my opinion is that a perfect being wouldn't create. We live in. Well, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, if we're just if, if it's we just like the, the battle of it, if it's just Sorry. the battle of a, if it's just the battle of opinions, then yeah, no one can prove one or the other's right. So you know, let's go way back to the stuff that you know the Bible does say to do that we can know yeah. and do that, and then yeah. you know, if being in heaven one day is not good enough, be like, hey, God, can you answer some questions for us? Yeah, like, and, and, know, and I'm and I'm also giving you guys the benefit of the doubt. I'm I'm a, I'm going with your story, and I'm saying, okay, so God's perfect, and so apparently He could have chosen to create people, or not, or Earth, or not, or Satan, or angels, or fallen angels, or anything. He could have chosen any of that, and He chose to create it. So He obviously must want all of this, right? Well, it's like this is all good. Everything that's happening, it's within His decreed of will. But then, yeah. you know, yeah. God also. God also does not take pleasure in sin. Yeah, and that's so, fine. Yeah, so it's not that he's pleased with sin. Oh, it is that. Well, that's uh, that's just he, a claim, though, Chris. You don't you don't know if he's pleased or not. You wouldn't you wouldn't be able to tell if he was or not. Well, you said I you were going. You said you were going with our story. Our story. Well, I am done with the story, but I can still use your story to go. Well, where's the evidence that he's not pleased with it? He he has but, it. He chose it. He well, wants it. Well, there's a whole, well, wait, 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 hang on, everyone. Uh, Chris, finish. But yeah, son, I, I, I'm super thankful you're speaking because no one else really has questions for Christians. Um, but I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta not railroad so much. Like, you know, you, you raise a point. Like in, in the Bible, in our story that you say you're giving us the benefit of the doubt and going with, specifically said there's are some, there are some things God hates. So it's not our opinion. Like if we're going with the story, like it's true, which we all agree, even mm -hmm. you. Um, are going with it like it's true. Well, there's some things God outright hates that is called mm -hmm. sins. So I mean, it, right. it does say it. Uh, but continue, Chris. Right. Yeah, but I mean, I think again, we're just we're just changing up uh, and equivocating a little bit because 
I could say, well, if I trust what Chris and Nate say, <clears throat> then God is completely aware of exactly what all of his wills are doing and why. And ultimately, in the end, he must approve of sin because he's allowing it, which whatever, with whatever will he's using to allow it, it's happened. Chris, you were saying, why would we're not done. If you were, if you're going to sin and and dare God to wreak havoc upon you, you're already you're already in hell, man. You're already doomed. That right there is going to bring you more hell. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know in who would be doing that. I, I, I'm not doing that myself, so I don't. I don't know who no, else no, would I'm be just doing saying, that. In this lifetime, do not do not willingly, knowingly sin because you will continue to live in a hell of your own making. It's about Philip K. Dick, a, a, a science fiction writer who wrote a, a piece called How to Create a Universe That Does Not Fall Apart in Two Days. Okay. So, so I would just put it back on you, um, son, sea wolf, slash, whatever. Um, can you instantiate? the equivalency between allowing and approving can i ask well like again i said this is just semantics and words like like god has a will really? and an, an idea and a creation plan and so there's no difference between allowing and approving um just no 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 someone could approve of something and uh not allow it Someone could allow something and not approve of it, yeah, in their own hearts. But cool. if they're God, if you're so, God, though, if you're God, though, if you're God, though, um, you can do anything. So I would think that at the end of the day, anything if, if you're a God, God, yeah, God can do anything, dude. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. That's God can't do anything. He's limited. God is absolutely limited. Yes. Okay. God is God is omnipotent in the sense of classical theism, and we define omnipotence as he is able to do that which is in his character and nature All right. god cannot violate the laws of logic god mm -hmm. cannot lie he cannot yeah. sin yeah you know so yeah so yeah. there's so i mean you no i've heard it all before you, you don't know. yeah i know this but yeah. i mean like so we're you, still you, in the same place either dude. but you can either you can either um accept the internal Christian worldview in terms of what omnipotence means in the scripture, or you can put your own definition spin on it and then just dismiss it. And that's fine. You know, no one's stopping you, but, but to, to say that there's an internal critique of the Christian worldview yeah. that we have a skewed view of omnipotence that, you know, well, God can do anything. Therefore, why can't he break the laws of logic or why yeah. can't he, you know, why does, why does he allow sin? Is that not the same mm -hmm. as approving of sin? Like yeah. all of these things are yeah. in turn, are, are attempting to use internal critiques to a worldview yeah. that doesn't subscribe to the definitions that you're using. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I said that. I agree with you. Yeah. So, so either way, uh, as an internal critique, if in the end it's all for God's good pleasure, like you guys were saying, then it's all for God's good pleasure. Yep. Right. I agree. I don't understand what the what the argument is. I mean, God made all of these things for himself. What's the problem? How come, how come we're trying to how come we're trying to dodge the fact that God created all of this? 
because we're we're trying like there are people who want to say that God's an asshole. Uh, well, because God say that? I mean, that, 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 no, no, that no, won't no. change. Please, the please fact, let me finish. That won't please, change. Please let me finish. Please mm -hmm. let me finish. Um, where this is the this seems to be the essential argument of the people who say that God is loving and God has a, a greater plan, and the others who say no, God's a bastard, and this seems to be the essential uh, divide. And yeah, and I think the people who who say that he's a bastard, I mean that by their free will they're entitled to such thought. And the thing is, it's just not on God's time that they have come to the other side. Oh, so so it's like something that, pro well, God wants them to go to heaven, so eventually they will. So it'll be fine. Well, okay, now now you've exposed me because I am an I am a universalist, and I uh, I did spend three good years in a Unitarian Universalist church. They, those two got together because they thought that their they saw that their objectives were close enough they could they could work together, um, which is which is great. <laughs> um, eventually, eventually everyone will achieve heaven. Their spirits, there's again, now, now we're getting into my mystical stuff, right? Um, but they will have to go through several many uh, reincarnations that can be a hell in and of itself. Because when your spirit becomes aware of like having to do this birth and walking and crawling and learning how to poop in a toilet or, you know, whatever, learning how to do all that stuff again and again and again, having those, those like vague familiarity, like, oh, I feel like I've been deja vu. I feel like I've done this before. And I, I had, okay, look, I had a four-year-old child uh, who was, who was sitting, it was supposed to be part of my um, class that I was taking their, their class pictures of, right? And this child out of the blue says to me, when are we going to change dimensions? And I'm like, um, excuse me, you know, can you, <laughs> I'm trying to get this kid to smile for my camera. And he's like, when are we going to change dimensions? And I'm thinking like, does this kid ask everybody this? Like, why is this? Why, why me? Why am I hearing this? You know, it gets exhausting. So what I'm saying, telling you son is that, um, we create our own hells. That's, that's my working pet theory. Yeah. And eventually, eventually, when when our spirits are ready, when the conditions are right, and we we're tired enough, mm -hmm. we want to wake up and get out of this, mm -hmm. you know, get off this wheel. Uh, yeah. We can we can ascend, and then those of us, I think I'm one of them, who who, who are of a spirit and want to help others out, willingly come back as bodhisattvas, willingly come back to help others out come into the light and get and yeah these are and these then, are great then, ideas then, one I, second let me give a little i, I agree with most of what you said i think there's some sort of obligation that uh the official position of the ask a christian room is totally disagree with all that so mario yes, you can believe whatever you want i know i can from I'll, the, I'll, from I'll the from, at the point of the uh, universalist unitarian reincarnation or onward like not nah, i'm out so uh, I would disagree with that greatly, yeah. just for the record. And Mari, just for the record, I, I agree with you. We do create our own hell. I don't think it's a real place. And I agree with you. When when God's ready, <laughs> I, I'm going to heaven. Well, so, um, son, I, I just wanted to run a hypothetical by you. So let's say the Bruce Almighty movie came true for you. You got to be God. You got to go back in time. And you're contemplating this question of humanity. If you were to know that humans would mess things up many times, but they would do a lot of beautiful things because 
you know, they would have free will. Would your decision as God be to create humans or not? I don't know. I can't answer that. I have no idea. Ask a Christian gets weird. I mean, some of us. I know if reincarnation were true. Career. I mean, if reincarnation were true, some of us are coming back as banana slugs. But, I would did like you say to that out loud? Oh, oh, Chris, did you say? No, no, Chris, you would be a mountain lion. <laughs> Why do you say that? Because I like to pounce. <laughs> oh, <okay>. Exactly. <laughs> he'd, come, he'd come back as like the true Florida man. Turns out like Florida man is, is like a different subspecies. <laughs> like stomping through the Everglades. <laughs> I think Chris would come back as a cocaine bear. You know, there, there's a movie Cocaine yes. Shark now. True story. Cocaine Shark is coming out. Uh, Lou, I see your hand raised. Did you still want to speak? I'm trying to invite you. I guess it's not working. Cocaine Shark. Do, 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 do. No, it don't work. <laughs> Nate, this is a, a good time to ask a question. Nate, I, oh, it's a great I, time. Oh. <laughs> you just got a call. Well, it would have been a great time, I guess, when he gets off the phone. Aviana, welcome. Good morning. Good morning to you, too. Well, let's see. Anyone else uh, have anything? Son, did you have anything else until uh, Keegan gets back? Or are we just going round and round in the same circle? Okay. Yeah, I think I think for me it always gets down to a lot of the same circles where, you know, it's it's I'm expected to think that God is something awesome based on whatever you guys are telling me I'm supposed to be taking in to decide this, uh, including his will and including his goals with me personally. He could be influencing me right now. I have no idea. According to you, he is, right? I'm just wrong about it. I don't think he exists. You guys say he does. So factually and ontologically, I am influenced by God and he has written his moral code on my heart. So I should be good to go. <laughs> well, obviously, um, you know, I want to say you've, you've made a straw man and then set it on fire for yourself, but um, I, I would push back. But um, real quick, I think Keegan said he was back. Is that right, Keegan? Did I hear your voice? Yep. yep. Um, yeah, what were you saying right before you you're saying it was a great yeah, time and then you got a phone call? Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, so, uh, are you do you believe in predestination or where where do you kind of fall there, Nate? Because I know you know us Christians, you know we all kind of some of us believe in predestination, some of us don't. Where where do you fall? In that? God knows what's going to happen. Okay, okay. Was that vague? Was that vague enough? Uh, pretty vague. That's a very political answer there. So in, in any way, I, God knows what is – I believe. I'm going to stop saying I believe. You know I mean I believe. God knows what's going to happen, and some way, shape, or form, either God totally uh, – in one view, we totally picked. And God's like, here, I have no <clears> – I have no control over you. Do what you want, and you've made all your own choices before you even exist, 
And uh, then you start existing. You're born. You start playing out all the choices you've already somehow made. God's like, yep, no, you're going to do that. No, you're going to do that. I didn't force you at all, but I knew you were going to do that. On the other hand, um, on the other hand, uh, it plays out the exact same way, but God does force all your choices and all your decisions. But the catch is, if God did not do that, you would have made the exact same choices either way. So basically, there's no way to say, well, God did it. I'm not responsible for what God did. Because the idea behind this is if God did not do it, if he's like, I totally made you eat that Snickers over Milky Way, but had I not forced you to do that, you would have picked the Snickers over Milky Way anyways. So that's my answer. <laughs> oh, God. It's one of those two, and I take an agnostic approach because it is a non-salvation issue. It's only different ideas on how to arrive at the exact same conclusion. Yeah. And I believe all that serves is to bring up infighting. Yeah, I, well, I've just been, I've been like kind of trying to read up on, you know, predestination kind of where, where do I, where do I, where do I fall from this? Cause like, yeah, I believe that, you know, God knows and plans everyone's lives. So I'm like, I think I fall in the idea of predestination, but at the same time, it's like, that's such a hard concept to wrap around just because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very hard concept to wrap around. So I was just wondering, you know, where I know Chris, Chris, aren't you, you believe in predestination, correct? As a Calvinist. He eats, drinks, and breathes it. So I have a uh, third alternative. What if God knows all three choices we could make, and there's a plan regardless of which of the three we pick? That is called open theism. That's what that theology is called. Yeah, I have a, I have a friend who believes in that. I don't know when he went left on that. And Y'all know him, Leron Campbell. Um, I don't know him. You don't know Laurent? You don't know Laurent? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, he's, he's in a lot of Hebrew Israelite um, having arguments with them o over their doctrines. Oh. But he's an open theist, and I think he went that way like a year and a half ago. Uh, but before that, he was all pure uh, Orthodox Christian viewpoints. He didn't go heterodox, because I, I consider the open theist view a hetero, heterodox view uh, I just don't see any good reason to to take the open I mean again that, there's certain things that just kind of make me suspicious and it's like why would someone be an open theist just because like it seems like a big appeal to being an open theist is to make God seem like somehow not bad as if you know you you have a tough time like explaining the text which I don't think we do, but I guess it, may, it it's a convenient way to avoid tense arguments. So whenever I hear that, I'm just like, okay, if you really believe this because you believe it, then I have some questions. But I, it just stands out that like the, I, you can't ignore like this is, has got to be one of the big appeals or benefits to believing this is you could just be like, oh, I'm not the Christian that believes that. I believe this. And then the challenger is like, oh, well, I guess I don't have a problem with you then. Yeah, I don't I don't believe it, but I haven't found an argument against it. Oh, my goodness. That God knows all things. It's like what? Yeah, James but it's it like would God do... knows all I'm... things. No, no. But but in the scenario, God would still know all things. It's still predestination. No, but this wouldn't be all possible things. It would be specifically the one outcome, like not all possible outcomes. It would be the one and only way it actually outcomes. The, the problem, the problem with open theism 
is that it makes God mutable or changeable. So God has to change according to the whims of somebody's libertarian free will. Now, if God is mutable, then it's game over. He can no longer by definition be God. One of the definitions of God being God is that he must be immutable. And if you take immutability away, he is no longer God. He's certainly not the God of the Bible. And so the, the problem with open theism is that it rejects, and this is why Sean would call it heterodox, is that it rejects who the God of the Bible is and makes him into another creature. And so he's just a better creature. It's more like the God of Mormonism. The minute you, dra you drop immutability, you're in huge trouble. The thing about it is saying yeah, so, God so don't know everything is, yeah, so, is, 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 is a problem with me. Yeah, so so Chris, I'm looking. I was just looking for the definition of open theism, and it is not the scenario that I just gave. So that's my challenge one because open theism is that human beings are truly free. The example I gave, it 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 wouldn't quite be that. Hey, you've already had to tell Chris he was right last week once. Let's not make I'm a not, habit of not, but I'm not. Listen, but, but Nate, <laughs> Nate, 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 this is, Nate. Please Nate, don't make, is, please don't Nate, make Chris's head I'm like Tweety Bird, please. But no. Nate, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming from the place of this is something I believe. I am posing it as a question to learn more about the topic. So th that. this is I, different. I I'm, I'm not judging. That. I'm not judging. I didn't think you thought that, man. I just, you know, like. I mean, we're not going to like roast you in the Right, there's five ways that, you know, we can believe that God moves the human heart or that the human heart is moved onto salvation, right? So this is what we're really talking about. So the first way is that God is external and he just gives your heart a nudge and you're like, "Hey, that's a great idea. I'll I'll buy into Christianity, sweet or whatever, you know." Um, the second way is that God internally nudges your heart, right? That, that there is this inner voice inside of you and you're like, okay, yeah, I'll believe God. And so then that leads to salvation. Then the third one is that you're spiritually dead. Your heart can not move toward God, but God gives something called prevenient grace to enliven your heart and to... Um, and to move it in the direct into the direction of God, and then your free will chooses God. So He enlivens your heart, and then your free will is able to choose Him. The fourth one is that God gives you a new heart, and then you are able to exercise faith in Him because He already gave you the new heart. The fifth one is that you're a robot; you just do whatever God says. Um, now, three of those are heresy that were thrown out of the church. The other two are the, the current ideas of Arminianism and Calvinism. Those are the only two choices that are orthodox within all Christian worldviews. That's it. You're only left with two. And the reason that Calvinists 
will say things to people who do not believe in Calvinism is, oh, you're an Arminian, is because they're being generous and not calling you a heretic. That's why we say somebody who is not a Calvinist must be an Arminian. It's because you're being charitable and not calling them an abject, unbelieving heretic. Because the first two are called Pelagianism and Cassianism. And the third, the fourth one, or the fifth one, rather, is hyper-Calvinism, which is, again, heresy. And so, would you call Bob an Arminian? I would call Bob an unbeliever. So, you know, the, the whole thing is that when Calvinists say that, and people get irritated with me when I'm like, oh, okay, you're an Arminian, I'm being nice. I'm not going to say, oh, you're a straight Pelagian and a heretic and an unbeliever. Like, that would be mean. I would not do that. It's not that I'm trying to mischaracterize something to somebody. It's that they don't understand the issues at hand, and they have to be educated and brought along to understand, like, look, if I'm calling you anything but an Arminian or a Calvinist, I'm calling you a heretic. Like, it's not, it's not good. <laughs> Anything to say, Aviana? Question, comment? No, I mean, no, I pretty much just agree with everything that Chris said. Um, I'm a Calvinist, too. Um, Keegan, I hope... Yay! My kids are being loud. Um, I think that... I mean, I think that there's a lot better writings that you could read, like Calvin and different things like that to help you, but if you feel like you're, you're reading that and you're struggling... R.C. Sproul, um, I feel like he does a pretty good job on bringing stuff down for, like, layman people. I don't know how well-read you are or anything like that. Um, if you're able, I would definitely read um, people like Calvin. Um, but if you need something brought down more in, like, to layman's terms, R.C. Sproul's Chosen by God is a really good DVD series that you can get from Ligonier Ministries um, to maybe help break things down a little bit for you. get the book as well i think it's like five bucks but uh, uh yes james heresy would imply outside salvation right yeah heresy like if you if you're a pelagian that means you are outside the christian faith if you're a Catholic, or, that means you're outside the christian faith if you're a hyper calvinist that means you're outside the christian faith oh chris you might know this i don't want to ask a catholic but i cannot i haven't really had any <laughs> chris is close enough yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he knows a lot. He knows a lot of things. So I just, I, I cannot for the life of me understand. So a Catholics, right? They hold to like a semi-Pelagius view that at the Council of Orange, that was deemed as heresy, yet they still hold to it. So I don't yep. it's called understand. Cognitive dissonance. They yeah. hold to a semi-Pelagian view. They call it not semi-Pelagian. When you actually call a priest on it and you show them the documentation, then they throw their hands up and they're like, yeah, you're right, but that's what we teach you. Because hmm. I've had the exact experience. Okay. All right. Thank you. Well, I mean, I want to say it's similar to like, you know, um, we totally don't pray the saints, except we pray the saints. But you said you don't pray the saints. Well, we don't pray the saints, but we pray the saints. <laughs> no? Okay. Fine. That cognitive dissonance thing. All right, well, I have right, a... So, so, oh, sorry. So Livingstone, when we say that Jesus didn't die for the sins of all mankind, that's a specific thing. It's called limited atonement. It just means that we're not universalists. 
And so when we say that, well, I mean, I would put it back on you. Okay, so if Jesus died for the sins of all mankind, and Colossians 2.14 is true, that our, our sin was nailed to the cross as a certificate of debt, and we are no longer held accountable for our sin, you're given one of two choices. Either you have to be a universalist and everybody goes to heaven, which would be very pleasing for Mari and John, uh, or for Mari and uh, Seawolf, or it is that Jesus's death on the cross was sufficient for the entire world, but was only efficient for those who were in Christ, i.e. his death on the cross was nailing that certificate of debt to it only for people that would be with him. Otherwise, I mean, so that, again, the charitable view is to say, look, I'm not going to call you a heretic for saying that everybody is a universal, you know, that you're a universalist, because I know that you're not believing in universalism, so your only other choice is but that, again, that's being charitable. Are you saying that you're a universalist? Cool, I guess. Well, uh, now, Chris, I have a question. Wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't people just be able to come back and be like, "Well, like, if you don't have the belief in Jesus, you're not like not everyone's going to heaven, even if you believe that Jesus died for all sins." Well, again, so that would make God unjust. So, like, okay, so what happens is God sent Jesus to the cross, Jesus died for everybody's sins in this model, and so then they didn't accept his free gift, but yet they're still thrown into hell, even though their sins are paid for? That makes no sense. That means that God is an unjust God. And so that's the third option, is that God is a liar and he's unjust. Well, no, for every for every like, normal, normal Christian, it's not like universalist, because, you know, I didn't even know Mari was, I don't think, until... 10 minutes ago, but I mean, you know, there's not many of those, at least that we'll ever meet. Um, but I mean, the obvious answer is what you said, Chris, or I would presume to speak for living stone and, you know, be like, well, yeah, you know, Jesus, he, he died once for the sins of the world of, you know, everyone, like, for example, you take the, the sin debt, like, you know, nail it to the cross, right? It's done the whole world. All you got to do is make, yes, that's for me. I would like that. So either way, I mean, you know, however you however you nuance that, that, that's what everyone who's not you is saying. Like, no one's saying God's a liar. No one's saying, you know, universalism is true. I mean, right. except like the two people that are. So you're basically saying, well, Jesus paid, you know, instead of for specific sins for the elect, he paid for all the sin in the world in one great bundle umbrella package. But it's only the whosoever wills who are actually going to, you know, take that note and be like, yes, I claim this prize. The prize for the world. Anyone in the world can take this prize. It's been done. Just can't come get your ticket, i.e. call in the name of Christ, believe and repent, and, and follow Jesus. So for those who do that, great. You're one of the whosoevers. You would say elect. For those who don't, like, bro, Christ paid for your sin. All you got to do is be like, yes, I will follow Christ. But if you don't, well, then to hell. Right. and, and That's what that side's saying. Is again, I know you know that. Being charitable, I'm going to just let you have the cognitive dissonance, and it doesn't make any sense. And it is completely, it's its just not logical. But, you know, people are able to believe things, two different things that are, tr that are competing for truth at the same time. And one can be totally false and one can be totally true. 
and people can synthesize that and believe it. And that's what that's what that is. It's like, okay, so God paid for everyone's sins, but yet he's still throwing people into hell. That is the reality of that position. It's just that you you shut down that part of your brain, and I'm not saying you, but you can't people can shut down that part of their brain that is the logical part and just go, Yes, I have an emotional thing. Jesus paid for everybody's sins. I'm not gonna say what that means. I'm just gonna go with it. And that and that is really what's going on. There's absolutely no one who has given a defense on the Arminian side that logically can contend with that. They just simply well, state it and then restate it, and this is what Leighton Flowers does, is he simply ignores the critique and goes on. Well, right, but then I, I think I would think your job would be to put it in the most generous possible way. Like again, like compatibilism is gonna be like my my like theological spirit animal, animal to go to like the same way because it, again people don't have to agree but they can agree enough to be like well if you explain it that way sure whatever so like this if you're instead of saying like no like instead of using like you know words that are going to p- get people like up in arms be like limited atonement jesus passes over i.e sends to hell half the planet or whatever be like no no this is all it means you know by elect this is what we mean we mean the whosoever will thing that you guys always talk about so like I, I would think your your mission would be if if cognitive dissonance is where we're going with for the one group of people that say what you say or you know the, the people you're opposing then I would think instead of the other one uh, I would think your side would would try to you know explain it in the most generous easygoing way that would have people like me being like oh sure okay well well you're not like compatibilism like you know when you're not saying God absolutely forces even though it's what you're saying it's what you believe. But if you're saying, even if God didn't do that, you'd make all the same exact choices, completely libertarian, free will, all on your own, then it leaves the side, my side being like, oh, well, if that's a way to understand it, then sure, whatever. Yeah, God totally like saves people and damns others to hell. But if he did not, everyone would end up in the exact same spot anyways through their own choice. Sure, whatever. Let's move on. So sure. I would think that would be your challenge to explain it in, in that way, you know, for each and every yeah. topic that Tulip disagrees with other people on. Yeah, I'll work on it. Because, I mean, like, I mean, look, <coughs> none, none of the points of Arminianism, again, Tulip, for those who don't know, the idea of Tulip or the idea of the acrostic is answering the five points of Jakob Arminius in the Council of Synod of Dort. And so there's simply, a, the, here's the thing is that the, the points of Arminianism, and, and I'm trying to be charitable here, were so completely biblically and philosophically inconsistent that no one even remembers them. The only thing that people remember is the response to those points, which is the tulip. Okay? And so here, here's the thing, is that every single one of the points of Arminianism is cognitive. It, it just is is internally inconsistent and illogical. But you're right. My job is to try to point that out as gently as possible to bring people along so that they understand from the biblical point of view, like, hey, here's like this idea of Jesus dying on the cross. If he's paid the sin debt for everybody that he died, you know, that he, that, you know, for everybody in the world, then he is unjust by sending people to hell. Or is everybody, like Zelenian is down there saying in the chat, everybody goes to heaven. The Bible teaches universal salvation. 
Well, or, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Well, just just saying, you know, or there's just this cognitive dissonance that we're just going to allow for, and we do that in charity. And so, I'm not going to break fellowship with somebody who doesn't understand the issues because they haven't they haven't been confronted with the cognitive dissonance. I'm not going to be like uncharitable. I, I mean, I'm probably being uncharitable right about now, but. You know, I'm going to try to be more, I will try to be more charitable and find a way to explain these things without explaining them as cognitive dissonance. How does that sound? Yeah, and I mean, it's, I mean, it's no sweat off my back, but, you know, I'm not thinking be charitable for charitable sake, but charitable for, you know, because, I don't know, to get everyone on the same page, right? Because if it's not salvation issues, then we should, like that, it just takes all the ammo out of people's, like, spiritual guns so they can then, you know, not fight Arminian and Calvinist or whatever. Um, but we can do things like unite, because um, we all agree on the salvation message of Christ, um, to combat things like you're coming back as a reincarnated whatever you all universalism get to heaven. Like, stink that's bird. weird. Yes, we are not coming back as butterflies. Or stink bugs. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I'll work on it. I'll find a, I'll find a new way forward for you, Nate, and we will, we will describe. My new mission would be to Describe limited or part, what we call now modernly particular mm. atonement, particular atonement in a way that does not step on people's toes. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking more than more than to keep the peace, like to really, I, I don't know, like to really to take everyone's will to fight between Calvin yeah. and Arminian. And by the way, it hasn't been done. So, you know, I mean, you know, I like to think I'm doing my part. Um, with you say things like that but I'm, I'm thinking like you know if that's done it just takes the the will to fight because like okay everyone's got their hills to die on like you know they see calvinist as you know god damning people to hell willy-nilly and doesn't matter and oh you want to be saved you can't god's damned you to hell <laughs> when the way you explain it that's not the case but the way they hear it that is the case um and then everyone else like you know to a calvinist but you can freely choose, and they hear that as you're violating God's sovereignty, which is not the way they mean it. So as long as everyone can, you know, could explain it peacefully enough, like it's the two sides are a lot closer than it seems. Um, certainly close enough that you know we can fight the coming back as a banana slug thing. Um, Chris, I feel like I've heard you thread the needle on this topic effectively multiple times. I'm just curious, what pushback do you find? Do you get? Here's the, here's the pushback I get is because most people's experience with Calvinists is negative because there's something peculiar about like figuring out the doctrines of grace where you just turn into a complete knucklehead for like two or three years. You just are a noxious jerk about it for like two or three years. It seems to be a universal tenant. I don't understand it. Maybe it's just an American thing. I don't know my experiences with American Calvinists, but almost all of us turn into insufferable jerks for like two or three years when we figure it out and when people encounter Calvinists because the time that people want to talk about Calvinism the most is when they first figure it out and so then like and they're like why doesn't everybody else see this and you're an idiot and they just are mean to people and so I think that what happens is people are reacting to their first experiences hearing about Calvinism for the first time from people who are still in their jerk store phase yeah, we call that the cage stage. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we call that That's the funny. cage. That's funny. 
But honestly, though, like, is that your same experience, Aviana? Yeah, I I would agree, but I I also have a little bit, I would definitely agree to that. However, I would also agree, though, that I have seen um, Calvinists, even at their cage stage, um, try to have discussions, and it still comes off as we are being know-it-alls or brash or, you know, uncharitable. Um, even though we're trying to speak as softly and gently and be seasoned with salt, like I feel like sometimes it just doesn't matter with certain people um, because it's just such a hard doctrinal truth um, to swallow that it, it's just it, it, it can be off-putting to people. Um, I mean, I remember my brother, he became a Calvinist by trying to disprove it. Like, um, but I do definitely agree. Yeah, I do agree that when you're in that cage stage, people can often be brash. Because I do believe that there is like, and I hope this doesn't sound like, I hope this doesn't sound bad. But I, I do believe that there is a specific type of intellect that comes along with a reformed, well, I shouldn't say under reformed, but with a Calvinistic understanding. And then even to further that, a reform understanding um, of scripture that I think can sometimes be off-putting um, to people, regardless if they're, you know, being seasoned with salt and, and being gentle. Um, but yeah, I do think, when, especially when people come, you know, to know these doctrines, um, they can be seriously jerks. And I was one of those people. I was like, you know, I was just, you want to think you just want everybody to know it like so badly. Like you just want everybody to know the truth. You're almost like beating them over the head. Kind of like when I first became a Christian, right? I, I sadly was like literally like beating my parents like over the head with, with a bat like all the time about the gospel. And it's like, no, no, like <laughs> you need to reevaluate this approach. Um, so yeah, that's just kind of been my experience on both sides. Well, I think it's it's interesting because um, I was in that place where hearing like Johnny Haas and some other people describe it and John Lee, it just kind of sounded very extra. Um, Chris, your your explanation, I essentially heard there's no libertarian free will. Here's why. And it just pretty much clicked and made sense. So I think you I think you simplified it in a way that it removes a lot of the minutia. So. Uh, it, it might just be other people being too exposed to the other perspectives on it. What's up, Andrew? Good hey, good morning, Hello. Nate. Good to see you guys. What's on your mind? Well, I, I probably wouldn't have came up, but you know, Chris always he always uh, inspires me to want to come up and talk. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and and I see he's. Um, He's indoctrinating one of my favorite people, CEO. So I'm like, oh boy, I got to really got to give him good faith. <laughs> so uh, when Chris said, when you said, Nate, you said that uh, God just, you know, people view Calvinism and as this, like there's a doctrine where people are just relegated to hell and they have no choice in the matter. Um, I still understand it as that. And I don't see... I don't see a way out of that. So I'm kind of curious what Chris has said that simplifies it in a way that you think makes sense, CEO, that it doesn't doesn't concern you. 
because <clears throat> I agree with uh, Aviana, excuse me. Um, I agree with Aviana. Um, that's totally the case. And, and Chris, uh, that the, the Calvinists are like that. But I, I've seen that even after that three-year phase, uh, it seems to be the common experience with Calvinists, actually, is that there's, there's this condescension. There's this kind of glee about people going to burn. And because uh, I asked Johnny Haas, I said, hey, you know, what happens if your son goes to hell? And he said, I will roast marshmallows over it. <laughs> wow. So Whoa. that kind of that kind of that kind of talking to me is just I don't even know how to explain it. But so I'm just curious. Maybe you could help me. Um, well, you can, can I speak for you, CEO, real fast? So yeah, also yeah, for ahead. me, like, uh, like I would say because, yeah, the first part sounds sucky, but the way they then explain it with the huge caveat that even if God didn't, they wouldn't say damn to hell, but I will. Like, even if God didn't damn some to hell and totally gave them their free will to do whatever they wanted, they would make all the same exact choices and put themselves exactly there anyway, just how God did. I'm like, okay. Actually, he does. So the, 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 well, hang on. So, like, the first part of that, you know, sounds like what all the non-Calvinists don't like. But then if you find a Calvinist like Chris who will, you know, talk about compatibilism, like, well, look. Uh, it, God's will is, you know, is synced up with your will. So basically, even if God did not decree and demand and damn certain people one way or another, or whatever, um, that person, if God just took all of his control away from, they would do exactly the same things that God was doing to them anyway. So it makes absolutely no difference. It's 100% exactly the same. I'm like, okay, well, at that point, I'm like, there's just not a reason enough to argue about it. So for me, that that's what like, hand waves that whole conversation. It's like, okay, yeah, the first part I would argue with, but then if you're like, because compatibilism, that person would do exactly the same choices anyway if they had totally free will. Sure, there, there's no reason to argue on that at that point. It's like, okay, good enough, let's move on. Right, that's just like, we wouldn't say that God is putting the evil intent into somebody's heart, right, to, to, go, to go to hell. He's just, what we would say, passing over them He's leaving them to their own nature. He's leaving them to their own devices to ch to choose what they would, to choose what they would choose because it is of their because it is of their nature. Um, but he's not like whereas like a hyper Calvinist would say that it's even that God that's like giving them those desires and basically putting the evil like in their heart. But but then to the non Calvinist ear, when a Calvinist says passes over, every non Calvinist ear hears damns to hell. So, so like if they're like but if god just you know didn't pass over them and they had their freedom to choose they would jump headlong into hell all on their own it's like okay sure if you explain it that way fine yeah i mean i i look at it like the simplified argument of there's not libertarian free will and i i do think it's incoherent to think there is complete libertarian free will so to me, that's the summary of a position. I think a lot of other Calvinist teachings are extra and do not have value in the sense that it's not a predictive tool. And Nate, Nate, I think you said this last week, that if someone isn't currently a Christian, then they'll say, oh, you know, you weren't gifted. If someone is a Christian, then they are. It's not a tool like where you know what someone's going to do in the future. It's always reactionary. So I don't see the practical value in it beyond its argument against yeah. libertarian free will you, you just said it practically there is no value in any of this it's only like because you know like one one point 
we'll get to a deeper point, which has, which has like Chris was talking about like logical inconsistencies or cognitive dissonance. So his case, if I can speak for you, Chris, is, you know, the idea of Calvinism basically ties everything up in a nice little bow where there's like, where there's no way out where it's an airtight defense. Whereas his critique of non-reformed positions would be, well, they mean well, God bless them. But if they, if they take this point, then you can't airlock this up, which will get you to a next point. And then because you can't airlock that up, that means it could, it creates theological problems further down the road. So practicality, absolutely zero value in any of this discussion. However, like a deep spiritual theology and linking everything's together, um, that's where the value is um, because it's locked up airtight, he would say, and the other side is not. Obviously, the other side will disagree, and then that's where they fight and you know go to war over. But um, that that's the point. So practical application, which is where I like to live, is no point. Um, theological, spiritual ramifications for how you perceive theology and things like that, then yes, big implications. But for your day-to-day, -day, for I serve Jesus, I follow Christ, I'm a Christian, the Calvinists and Arminian are like, oh, great, you're saved. While one of them is thinking they chose and the other one is thinking God elected them and, and you know, hit them with an irresistible train and dragged them in a way they could not resist. But both people practically are like, welcome to the fold, brother. Can you catch them in Nate? Sure. About the practical um, application, I would say, though, Paul to love God with our minds, right? All of our heart, our minds, the soul. Um, would you say that seeing things the way God sees them, as we read in the Word of God, understanding spiritual truths correctly, is a part of growing in in grace, like conform. Let's say, assume that uh, Calvinism is true—that God has elected people; they're spiritually dead. Assume that's the truth. God would want us to see things his way and agree with him in those areas. That's practical. We're growing, yielding our will and our ideas to what God says in the word. Practical or not value to God, not important? No, I get what you're saying, but what you're saying is great. So, like, if God, you know, gave us, like, uh, you know, if he's like, guys, the gospel's not enough. You must have perfect theology and included this point by point in a way that couldn't be refuted. Yes, honor God with your mind, your thoughts, and here's here's what it says. Here's what you need to memorize. And, there, and there's no way to mess it up. So what you say is very good, Edwin. Um, but then to say that, you know, because I, I assume, you know, you're saying your way is right because you believe you're right. That's why you believe that. If you thought differently, then you would change your beliefs. So I could say the same thing. I'd say I'm honoring God with my mind. I'm following, I'm following God as much as I can, as accurate and close to the scriptures as I see them. So we're both doing what you suggest, like honoring God with our mind. However, since, you know, God didn't lay out the finer points of theology because it's not necessary, but because he didn't lay out all the doctrine exactly as we need to believe it, um, no one's ever going to agree on fully honoring God with your mind because someone else is going to say, well, I'm honoring God with my mind more because I believe this. And they'll say, no, no, you're wrong about this. So I am honoring God more with my mind. Mm -hmm. So it's not like someone is saying we're not honoring God with our minds. Everyone is saying that. It's just people have very different ways of viewing the scripture. So again, oh, yeah. practically, yeah, what you say is great. But putting that into practical application, people aren't going to agree. Uh, well, I know I understand people. I understand true Christians. And it's not essential. When I think there's something I could accept. You got really quiet, Edward. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, no, I agree that true Christians can differ on these uh, doctrines. But when we talk about something being essential, uh, I don't believe uh, it's essential to believe in Calvinism to 
uh, to be right with God, like you're going to go to hell if you don't believe in Calvinism. But nevertheless, it is essential if it's the truth. If it's the truth, I understand people differ with me. It's essential to believe these things, to yield to them in, in terms of in regarding conforming our minds to the mind of God. It's, it's just part of the process. But I realize it's not like you're going to go to hell if you don't agree with the five points. But I understand you do differ with me on this. I'm just saying it is practical in a sense. It's part of uh, the Christian walk to, to grow in our understanding. It's not just about how I treat my neighbor, but how I relate to God. No, right. that's what I'm saying. But I'm saying okay. like it, okay. like, but but the insinuation is if we're quote growing in our minds and growing in our theology and you know becoming correct as how how we follow, follow God, we'll become a Calvinist and believe just like you. That's the implication, whether or not you mean it or say it or not. So it's like like yeah, I'm not saying just love your neighbor and you know don't worry about your theology. But saying no, no, you should you should try to have as accurate theology as you can. But the implication of the one saying it is. Is well, if you really had accurate, good theology, you would believe like me. <laughs> like that's the implication, and that's, well, that's just not the case. Well, well I, I was uh, saying, if, if it, I could say the same thing with Arminianism. What I'm saying is, if it's yeah. true, it's practical. That's it. That, that's that's my point. That's all I'm saying. Right. If it's true, it's practical. But then you'll say, yeah. well, if, if you wanted the truth, uh, what I believe is true and it's practical, so believe like me, or you don't really have the well, truth. Well, Ed, what is, what is the practical value beyond there's no libertarian free will? What what do you, what do you think is the practical value beyond that? Um, well, you know, can I can I call on Chris real fast just because I've heard him say this and I was uh, going to anyways. Chris, yeah, can you can you hit the point? So like whenever whenever someone like has a problem with Calvinism, one of the one of the big things I've heard you talk like how it links to other things. Could you just give us a quick overview of like how someone in your estimation coming from a Calvinist is wrong on a certain point that doesn't seem so bad, like libertarian free will or something, then that could create bigger implications further down, which could create further implications even further down. Can you kind of link a few of those leaps real fast? Well, sure. I mean, and again, not going into slippery slope fallacy because this doesn't always happen, but the, you know, the final destination of Arminian theology is open theism and is apostate from Christianity. I mean, that's the, that's the downstream of it. Okay. Um, now that doesn't always happen. In fact, it doesn't happen most of the time. So we wouldn't say that's a slippery slope fallacy. We would just say that is the logical conclusion of the theology. That's one thing. The practical application though, I think is, is something that Mark hit upon in the chat. Um, when I was an Arminian, I truly believed that, um, I used to, um, and I still do this on occasion, is I used to go walk around a place called Lake Eola, which is like a place where people gather. And I would just, you know, street witness to people. And I truly believed that if I didn't get up and do that, there would actually be people that would go to hell because I was being lazy. And so, not, again, not all Arminians believe this. But it, but it is one of those things that there is this quote unquote burden for salvation, and so if we you know we as Calvinists simply believe that we are going to participate in what God is already going to do, and that is a proper motivation to me, um, not that I have a burden for quote unquote the lost because I can do anything about their salvation that I have the power of life and death that I have the power of you know, oh, well, I'm just not going to tell that person the gospel because I'm being mean that day. That, that just, it's just an insane power grab. Um, and for the and record, again, I'm not, someone who, who you would probably place in that category, I have never thought that, but continue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm not saying everybody thinks this, 
but there are people who do. I mean, I genuinely thought like, man, if I get sick or if I have any other problems, like I, I mean, people could genuinely go to hell because they didn't didn't get to hear the gospel that day. Um, that would be a possibility. Um, and I think that this idea of this burden um, that you would have, Christianity is not bearing burdens um, that are unnecessary. It's bear, bear each other's burdens. We bear each other's burdens in the body of Christ. But Christ takes our burden. He says, you know, take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy. Um, and uh, the, the thing is, is that when we are freed from that idea that we have some kind of power over other people, it allows us to truly have joy in participating in the faith of the gospel and not this sense of guilt or this sense of burden that if I, if I don't do X, Y, Z, then that could affect someone's eternal salvation. Well, it's I, just, it's free. Well, I think that um, it's, uh, to me, it's a little bit more complex than that, right? Because like, if you communicate with someone and then later, you know, they convert, then didn't God always ordain for you to communicate with that person as part of her process? So that is where I get hung up on what you're saying, because um, aren't there times where we are ordained to be a part of the journey? But that would have, yeah, and that's that's more of that non-practical application. Like any, like anything, you just have to like think it's all been done. So if you if you think right now of like from Chris's standpoint, if he could play the mind game, like right now I'm gonna get off Clubhouse, I'm gonna go to the store outside Publix, and I'm going to witness to three people. I totally choose this all on my own. If he's playing this mind game because he doesn't believe that, but if he if he's like I'll play your game, I'll freely choose, I'll get up, I'll go there. Well, he doesn't think that just happened. Like he and I happen to believe with him that you know. God already knew this was going to happen just that way, you know, eons ago. So before Chris was even alive, like God knew right now, even when Chris is like, you know what? I think I need to go share the gospel with someone at public today. It's at grocery store in Florida. And he goes and does that. Um, he's not going to think, well, I just decided to do this right now. He's going to think, no, I'm, I mean, it feels like I decided to do this right now. But I believe God knew this was going to happen forever ago. It just happens that it played out right now. So even though to the casual onlooker, the practical person is like, oh, where's Chris going? Oh, he just decided to go to Publix and witness to someone. Um, while Chris is thinking and believing that, no, no, I mean, it seems like that, sure. But God knew this was going to happen from forever ago. Sure. And, and, and here's the thing is like, it's not. So when you understand the, the history of American Christianity and you understand who Charles Finney is, all of this stuff about, you know, being burdened and all these other things, this all comes from Finney, okay? Nowhere else. And Finney was widely criticized for this idea that, you know, he had to do all of these things. Finney would create these fake revivals and there would be all of this excitement and he genuinely said, he genuinely said, you had to create excitement, if that sounds familiar. Um, and create an atmosphere and all these other things. Because again, he rejected the sovereignty of God. And when you are a preacher like Finney and you're, you know, he is the classic hellfire and brimstone preacher. Um, he would go to a town. It would be ignited with excitement because of his, his, uh, 
his revival that he held there and he would hold it for weeks and weeks at a time. And it was all emotionalism. And then he would be dismayed when he came back two years later and literally no one was changed in their life. Literally no one had any connection to the gospel at all for the ones that he would bring up to the, uh, uh, the anxious seat as he called it. Right. So this was the, the beginnings of invitations. All of these people who had supposedly given their life to Christ had no connection to the gospel when he got done. And I think that this is everyone's experience in American Christianity because we are steeped in Finneyism. Um, who's got anything to say about that? Uh, I mean, I, there's there's a lot I want to say, Nate, but I don't want to take up your stage, buddy. Um, and oh, go yeah. ahead. Well, take it up. Um, well, wait. First of all, Nate, are you? Do you agree with Chris? Are you? Are I, I guess I'm unclear. Are you? Are you a Calvinist? Or, <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay. Chris, yes, he, Chris, yes, he is, Andrew. He just doesn't want to admit it to himself. Chris keeps trying to illegally kidnap me, like was forbidden for the Israelites, <laughs> uh, into, into I am Calvinism. A man stealer. But, <laughs> He's on but, his way, Andrew. He's on his but, way. but no, so I, I try to think of myself as, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. <clears throat> so I, I'm trying, like, I, I fought against Calvinism forever. And what it did was absolutely nothing. It just made a bunch of Christians fight. So I, I've tried in recent years, well, not so recent years, I've tried to, you know, just focus on the, keep the main thing, the main thing, right? So like focus on Jesus, focus on the gospel, and we can talk and have discussions about this stuff. But when you get the wrong kind of Calvinist with the wrong ty type of non-Calvinist, all they do is yell and scream and then end up like swearing and cursing. I'm like, guys, um, who thinks this is good? Is anyone being edified right now? So um, yeah, that, that's my thing. So I try to find like common ground because, you know, salvation issues between, you know, uh, true, proper Christian Calvinist and non, um, there's no salvation issue. So we're all rightly brothers and sisters in Christ. And I didn't mean to talk, talk this long, but no. So I, I would not say I'm a Calvinist. And also the way Christianer describes some of his points just now, I kind of, you know, took with like a whole salt shaker because um, while some people surely fit that mold, um, I know a lot, like everyone in my life, um, who, who would push back against that. And say, well, that may be some, but that's not us. Um, and there, there's a lot of us. So I, I definitely disagree with some of the some of the things he says. But sure, I, I there are people that fit that mold. Um, while I am I am waving my hand saying I'm not a Calvinist, but I also don't fit that mold that he's talking about. Yeah, and I appreciate that. Um, I guess the thing is, is like there are some people that'll say that if you are a an atheist or an agnostic. Um, you're you're closer to the kingdom than somebody who has bad theology, who's steeped in bad theology. And I don't, you know, I don't necessarily <laughs> agree with that. But but I wouldn't but agree what with I was at all. Yeah, I would not well, at all. Good. It's good. usually an atheist trope. It's usually like atheist tropes on Facebook that say some nonsense like that. Yeah, no. Well, there's believers that have har hardcore beliefs, and they're just like, look, if you got bad theology, I can't fix you. You know, you're just so screwed up. Like, I'd I, I, I do better, you know, or, or, or I'd do better talking to somebody who's a who's an atheist or an agnostic, you know. But anyway, but that that aside, all I'm saying is, is like, so when I first met Chris, and I don't know if he still holds these views. When I first met him, he told me uh, pretty brashly that there were a, a, a set of beliefs that if I didn't hold to them, I was a marshmallow. And I was like, hmm, okay. 
So <clears throat> I don't know if he still holds that view. But I do. my thing is, okay, so if you hold it, th- I can't remember how many there were. I think it was something like nine. I think he gave me nine, maybe seven. It was seven, nine, something like that. It, it, you just bam, 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 right? And I'm just wondering if, so if you're, if you're, if you're not within those nine, you are outside of the fold. You are not a Christian. You are a marshmallow. That means destined for hell, right? If you hold Wait, those so views. You, so you can't be a saved marshmallow. Marshall, marshmallow is synonymous with heretic <laughs> or non-saved. Yeah, Correct. marshmallow, like you're going to get roasted over the fire. You're going to get roasted. Oh, right. I was thinking marshmallow. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I was thinking marshmallow, like squishy Christian, but still Christian. Okay, never mind. No, and he said it, you know, and it was like, it wasn't like, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it was off putting, shall we say. Uh, but anyway, when he said that, I was like, okay. And that's how I kind of met Chris and I'm fine with Chris. I mean, I think, you know, we obviously severely disagree, but I'm fine with him. I welcome him. I'm totally happy to see him when I see him. It's all good. But what I'm saying is, is like, if, if that is the case, there's a list of these doctrines that you must uh, adhere to and you're not part of the faith. If you don't, then really you guys are working together here in, in a sense, if you don't share each one of those doctrines. Uh, in a sense that Chris actually thinks you're going to hell, Nate, if you don't share each one of the doctrines that he listed. And my thing is, is like, wow, that is a very rigid view. And I can't imagine how that applies, like across the board. How are we supposed to, how are we supposed to unite when we have these very rigid views like that? I'm just wondering, uh, because I, you know, is there no room? Well, can we take a quiz right now and find out what kind of marshmallow we are? Like, I mean, I'm sure, like, I, I Chris, if you remember those nine, which I guess for they're essential, you, you got to remember them. But I mean, I mean, we would both agree on them. I mean, like, yeah, so, you got to I mean, believe yeah, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, you I mean, I reject that, you know, the bottle well, of resurrection, yeah. you reject that. Well, you're going, yeah, I, so, I, I mean, agree. yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't even have called that, I mean, I guess technically it may be a doctrine, but I would say that's like a, a point. I mean, yeah, I would say that. I mean, I wouldn't say – is that three of the doctrines right there? Death is one, burials is – anyways. But, I mean, I want to say I'll probably agree with Chris, but the nine doctrines probably aren't a whole lot – like limited atonement is probably not going to be a doctrine you must believe to oh. be saved. Yeah, well, so, well, I mean, well, what about the virgin birth? Yeah, virgin birth. Yeah, you're a marshmallow if you reject the virgin birth. There you go. I, well, I would also go. say God, God, God forgives crappy doctrine. So, I mean, if someone's like – I believe Jesus. And they're like, what? He was born of, of a virgin? I've never heard that. And then they get struck by lightning. They're totally going to heaven. Like, no, ignorant. I agree with that. Like, right. B- right. So they're like, no, it did not happen. If, I mean, uh, you know, ignorance. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, right. the law in America, ignorance is not an excuse, but, you know, God knows the heart. So if it's like a heart that's obstinate, like the Trinity, like he would say, we commonly say, like every day, you don't have to believe in the Trinity to be saved, but... Yeah, once you hear about it, if you cross across some point that God only knows, um, then and you obstinately reject and fight against the Trinity, um, because we believe that is totally in Scripture. And at a point, if you fight against that, then it's our truth claim that this is true. The Trinity is true. Therefore, if you fight against it, you are fighting against God. You're fighting against the Bible. And I guess you're a reprobate. Um, so while we don't you, we wouldn't say you have to believe in the Trinity there will be a point that you won't deny it. And if you continue, I guess marshmallow, right? Well, that's the thing. He, he said the Trinity was essential. And I pressed him on all of this. And he said that after two or three years, if you've been presented with the truth and you still are obstinate and you stick with your belief, then then yeah, you're, you're outside of the faith. And I'm like thinking, hmm. 
So you could have somebody that wants to go and study the languages, get down to, I mean, they want to get really down to the nitty gritty on all this stuff, right? And it could take them a very long time. And they could be in disagreement with you over the doctrine of the Trinity, but yet say after a certain period, two or three years, or just, you know, having these exchanges for a while, you could be like, well, I know that they're going to stay in their Unitarian belief and therefore they're marshmallows. And therefore you you would not break bread with them. You would not be okay with them being in the church. You would think they need, you know, they're 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 as good as an unbeliever. Um, so I just, to me, that just seems to be just that's that seems preposterous to me, well, that's honestly. What that's Paul just Paul taught. I, okay, that's literally so, what Paul taught. <laughs> he, he taught he taught two or three years that if you don't, no, uh, taught, so here's what he I'm taught saying. that you will not reject the core doctrines of christianity and if you do then you are not a christian like these are like there are just certain things like when we say the word christian you believe in the death burial and resurrection of christ you believe in the virgin birth you believe in the second coming you believe in the iner inerrancy of scripture um you know these are the things that are key to the christian faith and if you reject any one of those and continue to reject you can reject it at the outset or the trinity things like that but like if if after being taught christian doctrine you then reject christian doctrine by the very definition of christian and what that word means you fall outside of that because you reject christian doctrine okay so Damn. yeah mm. so when you say inerrancy let's just take that for example um, are we talking about the original autographs or are we saying what we have now? I'm saying, where, where the, are we original, I'm saying the original autographs were perfect and inerrant. Now there okay. are textual, we, I believe in textual criticism and I will go into deep discussions with people about textual criticism and that's fine. Um, we have textual variants. We're honest about our textual variants. But when we talk about faith and practice and the inerrancy of scripture, we know that A, it doesn't contradict, and B, it is not wrong. Okay? So those are the two things that you have to believe about the scripture. That it doesn't contradict and that it is not wrong. If okay. you don't believe that, if you believe that it contradicts and it is wrong, you are in something called liberal Christianity, which is not Christianity at all. It's a redefinition of Christianity. Okay. So are you saying that the ending of Mark and First uh, John 5, 7, or the woman caught in adultery, if, or if I was to say that I don't believe that those were in the originals, and so I do not think that those are authentic, mm -hmm. would you say that I do not adhere to inherency? No. I would say that you're taking very good textual criticism into account just like anybody else because i don't believe that the ending of mark is is markian um i don't believe in the comma johannine i don't believe in you know i i mean i have i think that the woman caught in adultery is a bit more of a slog textually but you know we're talking the end of seven the beginning of eight um and then going into the to the great i am um you know pericope so you know could these things have been added at a later date? Sure. Do we leave them in? Are we honest about our textual variants? Absolutely. You know, does inerrancy hang on textual variants? No. Inerrancy hangs on the rest of faith and practice that is revealed in the scripture.
Sure, and that's fine. I mean, I would have no problem with that, uh, affirming the original autographs. I don't think we have them. But, you know, so it's almost kind of a, it's kind of a moot point because, I mean, we can say that. But again, but, we have 99.5% accuracy to the autographs. And we know that we have more accuracy now than we even did 100 years ago because we can use computers to, you know, go through and compare even the most minute details of manuscripts. And so these things, you know, when you ask even a skeptic like Bart Ehrman, and you say, well, what did the New Testament actually say, Bart? He will have to, if he's not, you know, if he's being honest at that moment, he will have to say, well, what we have now is probably pretty much what they wrote. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, yes, I think, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, like, there's no, no I do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I totally agree. He 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 uh, he sensationalizes the variants. And he makes oh, there's so many differences, you know. But then when he was pressed by Dan Wallace, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, they're really not really meaningful differences. So yeah, no, I agree. He, he that's a yeah. He he uh, dramatizes that. Um, Actually, one but, of my favorite yeah. self owns on National Public Radio when Steve Inskeep is like, well, then what are we doing here? It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, see, everyone's getting along. Chris, I, I have a real big problem with someone saying, if you don't believe these things, you're going to go to hell. Well, that just mind. reeks of, that just reeks of manipulation and, you know, coercion. And that doesn't feel uh, very godly or Christian-y. And I just wonder why, you know, you would do that. Because the Catholic Church does that, the EOs do it, and now I guess... Is that just your position, or is that like a Calvinist position? Well, uh, well hang on. That's, that's, that's the right position. Let me, let me, let me, well, let <laughs> me be a defender of the Chris for a minute. I mean, everyone has to agree to that at some point, unless you're just a complete, like, you know, everyone is, is God, universal, whatever you want. We're all one. I mean, unless you're someone like that. I mean, Andrew, you would have to say at some point, you'd be like, okay, well, if you don't believe this, even if it's only one thing, or concrete, even you, like if you'd say, Hey, you know, I believe, you know, that Jesus uh, is not the Messiah. They can say, oh, well, well, then you're, you can't go to heaven. You can't be saved. Jesus is the only way to save you. And they're like, no, I yeah. don't believe that. So, I mean, everyone yeah. who's, who has yeah. any conviction at all is at least going to have a couple things that you must believe or you're not. I mean, if I believe well, Jesus I'm, was an aardvark, does that count? Does that make Okay, so real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So real quick, I'm very happy to hear Concrete say that, actually, because I didn't think he – I'm happy to hear you say that, Concrete. That actually – yeah, that's that was actually really cool to hear you say that. Because so here's the thing with that, with, with that, is I've thought about that quite a bit. I don't see – I don't think that we should be waving the banner in front of us like, hey, you don't believe these doctrines, like you're going to go to hell. I do agree. There is – there are some doctrines that are essential to Christianity. I agree with that. But the problem is – is to say that they're going to go to hell is assuming first that they're going to die right right then. But even then, God could immediately reveal to them the truth and give them an option, right, so to speak, to change. He could change their heart, however you want to view it. He could do that. So I don't think it's our place to be saying that, like, this person's going to hell, this person's going to hell because they don't hold to the doctrine right now. They could change that. That could change. I bet Chris yeah, so there's no, there. I would agree with that as well. But, but here's the problem. Okay, but, 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 we're okay. not saying that you're eternally like damned because at this moment you're rejecting the Trinity. That's not at all what we're saying. What we're saying is when we're taking in the definition of the historic Christian faith, 
there are certain doctrines in order to be called a quote-unquote Christian that you must hold to. This is not controversial. Like, if you don't believe that Jesus actually walked the earth, are you a Christian? No, I, I agree with that. I'm asking. No, okay. No, I agree with that. If you don't believe, like, you yeah, know, that Jesus I agree with that. raised from the dead bodily, are you a Christian? Sure. No. Sure, I agree with like, that. I mean, I agree with yeah, that. if you believe that, you know, that, that we're all part of the universal Brahmin, you know, and that we are part of the God hive mind, are you a Christian? No. Like, you're a I Hindu. agree with that. Like, I mean, I agree with that. <laughs> this is I not, agree with that. I mean, what, I agree with that. Okay. But it's just the it's just the idea of saying it's it's the it's the approach of what you're saying, though. It's like when I first met you, you're like, well, if you don't hold to these nine doctrines, you're going to hell. You know, you're a marshmallow. I'm thinking, wait, well, look, I mean, I may not agree with these nine doctrines right now, but I could. And how about we talk about it? And let's 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 go over the scripture and try to, you know, let's see if we can reason together. But when you sure. come at it like you're you're going to hell if you don't hold these nine doctrines. Well, you don't know that because I'm not uh, I may not. About I'm not people who are ignorant, Andrew. I'm talking of, and haven't been taught. I'm talking about people who are false teachers, you know, so like our Charles Johnson friends, you know, or our you know, our Bob friends down there in the audience, like Bob is a marshmallow because Bob rejects Christ. Bob could okay. tomorrow, right? Bob could tomorrow come to Christ and then we would accept him as a brother. But am I going to invite Bob to my church and allow him to teach Bible study? Are we kidding? No, because he's not regenerate. Right. Well, I would just say that they that, that you think that they're in false doctrine right now, but that, that they uh, they could come around, and I don't well, think somebody could repent and believe. Sure. Well, and, and also yeah. that, that's a great example. Like, is Bob still here? Don't worry, I'm not bringing him up. Uh, I didn't mean, <laughs> I didn't mean to pick on him if he's not here. I'm sorry. Oh, but but no, that's a great example. It's like you have you have Bob and baptized, who even those two disagree with each other, which is fun, but. Both of them, not just – oh, okay, so you've got like uh, – what was it? Some guy that was like, uh, hey, I, I don't really know about this trinity. I'm still looking into it. I'd say, great, you get hit by a truck, you're probably fine. Only God knows the heart. And then you've got other people who, who don't believe. Like, you know, I would say Brandon, which Chris would say Marshmallow, and I'd say probably, hopefully not. But, you know, they, they totally – in as much as I've talked to them, I mean, they're oneness. They, they reject the trinity. Um, but I haven't heard him be like, you know – in which again, only, like Chris is a lot quicker to like pronounce fire on people than me because only God. But I'll be like, hey, you're in sketchy territory. It's probably getting a little smokier than you'd like. Step back. But he's very much right now ardent in his position. But I haven't heard him like mock or really antagonize or go to battle against it. Um, and then you've got like Bob and Baptize who like sit down there and like make like you know like terrible blasphemous jokes all in chat all day long about it. And I would say. You know, again, only God knows the heart, but looking at the cases, you have one person that is doesn't really know about the Trinity at all. They're still checking into it. I think they're probably fine. They're, I think they will eventually be led to the Trinity. Um, then you have another one who's who doesn't believe in the Trinity. They clearly reject it, and I would be worried for their eternal soul. Uh, but then if you want to one-up that, you've got people who actively like mock and ridicule and join with Muslims and atheists in fighting against the Trinity. And I'm like, that's extra not good. Yeah, but I mean, like, Nate, if, if somebody's studying scripture, right, and you and you determine this person's sincere, I mean, with, by all accounts of looking at w their life, you, you, you see that they 
they seem to love the Lord, right? But the way they interpret scripture when they read these proof texts in favor of Unitarianism or in favor of Trinitarianism, when they read these, um, you know, they're swayed towards Unitarianism and they think the Trinity is false. And so they could be as dogmatic on the Unitarian side as somebody would be on the Trinitarian side. And my thing is, is what you would have to be saying is, is they're deceived. They uh, they're wrong. And not only are they wrong, they're intentionally wrong or they're at fault in some way because they are misinterpreting scripture. Right. They're misinterpreting scripture. And you're willing to say that, you know, that you are not wrong. In fact, you cannot be wrong about the Trinity. And to me, that is just a bridge too far. I think that if you're willing, if you're willing to say that, then, I mean, shoot, you're willing to take 100 percent epistemic certainty on that. To me, that is just that is so. I mean that I don't. Yep. I only have epistemic certainty on like one thing. I, like I exist, and like maybe maybe math or something like that. I don't have epistemic certainty. And I, I meant to ask you this, Nate. Could you be? Because this is. So I'll ask Chris. I'm sure he's going to say no. But I'm going to ask you because I'm curious. D- could you be wrong about God existing? Could you be wrong about that? Uh, so in the interest of never saying never, uh, sure. But I'm going to say because uh, like to me. I will say I, I, you know, I will claim Gnostic revelation, like it has been revealed to me, God exists. But sure, since here. I can't prove, since since I can't prove that to anyone in a way they would accept, because I can't fool God out of the sky or wherever, I will say the the person asking that should hear me say, even though yes, all day long God, um, that person should hear me say that I guess I just really really believe it. And if you want to know how much, put a gun to my head and ask me. And Amen. well, I Amen. guess I believe it. I guess, I guess I, I guess I guess I guess I believe it that much. But right, exactly. your other thing, the, the bridge too far that you just talked about, Chris was all in. He's like, yes, bridge too far. Um, I would say it's not the only way to look at that. I agree with Chris. But um, the the other, there is another way to look at that. Um, without going a bridge too far, I would say just as much as I said I believe that um, about God, um, I believe the same, for example, about the Trinity. However, that doesn't mean I you necessarily have to. Um, you asked me that question. I lost my train of thought. But um, uh, can you, can you have recap that? That's, that's that's the thing. Yeah, no, it's before the epistemic certainty. It was the thing where Chris kept saying, "Yep, yep, yep," and you said it was a bridge too far. Like that's the point I really wanted to make, and then you asked me the epistemic certainty thing. Um, but basically, you don't have oh, to call everyone a liar. Very... So, like, if someone what? okay, go ahead. Well, I was just trying to help you remember because I was talking about you could be very committed to this idea of the Unitarian version of God and the other person could have the Trinitarian version. You'd be like, well, you know, that person, he, he, they're, they're deceived. They're wrong. Right. Um, there's no way they they, they, intent, they made a mistake here and that they're at fault and therefore they're going to go to hell because oh, of that commitment to that. I, I remember. Right. So without going just that far, because you know only God knows the heart, that's the big thing. But for me, like you, you said, you wouldn't even break bread with him. So it's not it's not like this lording over, like I'm so right, you're so wrong. It's also a Romans 14 thing. Like, look, if I'm not if I'm not doing something in faith, then that's my sin that I'm accountable for. So if I honestly believe, like you know, some guy questioning the Trinity, I'll still call them a brother in Christ. They they've just heard the word Trinity and heard that Terillion dude said it in the 1800s, and they're like, that doesn't sound right. I have some questions. I'll still call that person brother in Christ. They just learned what the Trinity was five minutes ago. So um, I'll break bread with them. My conscience is clear about that. If, um, you know, Unitarian Bob wanted to come speak in my church, I'd be like, no. 
And then where you may say, that's because you're lording over that you're right and he's wrong. Forget all that. We don't have to go that far. We have to go to Romans 14, where if I'm following my convictions, my heart being led by the Holy Spirit, I don't feel good about you know letting this happen because for me, I am so convinced that this is such a doctrinal difference that I would be sinning to allow this. So it doesn't mean I'm so good and Bob is so bad. It means I would be sinning if I violated my own conscience. And, you know, to the person that has a problem with that, well, I guess take it up with God. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's a good point. And, and Andrew, I would also say that, like, um, and, and, you know, I, I can be pliable. But the one verse in Scripture I just don't understand how anyone sees differently is Romans 10, 9, 10. Like, how you get a different interpretation or spin that in any way other than what it directly says and how literal it is is absolutely baffling to me. Well, and this is a good plug for Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. We are studying Living by the Book, The Art and Science of Hermeneutics, how you can know what the Bible says with confidence by using the same study methods that have been used for thousands of years. And so if you would like to learn how to read and interpret the Bible correctly, and this is coming from Calvinists, non-Calvinists, all stripe of Christians. Even Steph is giving uh, giving away uh, uh, scholarships to the book because she believes it's so important. This is why this is important. is because most of the, the nonsense discussions on Clubhouse come from people being unable to interpret Scripture properly. Whether it's Calvinist or Arminian or whatever, we can have disagreements, but... Um, there is only one interpretation for every single verse, and that is what the author intended. And so the exercise is to learn how to exegete the scripture to get to the meaning the original author intended for the original audience. Thanks. And uh, Chris, do you have the official um, study notes from the Bereans uh, passed down through uh, tradition? that let you know the way they were studying the Bible? Uh, yeah. That's just in the rest okay. of the scripture. <laughs> um, Ryan, really good Ryan? book. If you want further information, hey. Hermeneutics of the Biblical Writers by uh, Abner. Good uh, morning, everybody. Nate, morning. Concrete, Andrew, good to see you guys, everybody else. Um, oh. I had a, a question for you guys. Um, if you guys could help me understand... Uh, I have some confusion around what constitutes blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I've heard a lot of different answers. I kind of have a friend-ish, MacGruber, um, who's like maybe been told different things, like that he it's not possible if you believe um, in God and like in Jesus, it's not possible to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Um, like, and then I've been told that you that you can by other people that like blaspheming the Holy spirit is attributing, um, Jesus miracles to the evil one. And then I've heard other things and that that's not really possible to commit if you believe in God. Uh, so I was just wondering what constitutes. Uh, yeah, well, you're, sounds like you're about to hear everything you just said again. So the long and short of it is, uh, to, some, they would say blasphemy is, you know, the unforgivable sin, which means you're going to hell because you can't be forgiven. So that is rejecting Christ. So that's the ultimate sin is not following Christ as your Lord and Savior, believing in his death, burial, resurrection. 
because that's the only way you get to hell. Ergo, that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, a perpetual rejection of Jesus. Other people, which Chris will tell you now. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Well, wait, but isn't there only one true interpretation of that scripture according to what Chris just said? Well, there let's see is. what Chris has to say. Right, so there is, but why do we come up with different interpretations of scripture? It is because that within secondary issues, um, people of good faith can look at a scripture a different way, and instead of condemning those people, we just simply have our own churches. And so that is why denominations are ordained by God. So, um, the, the quick answer to the question, though, is yes, I, I take the uh, idea that the attributing the Pharisees attributing the works of Jesus directly in front of their face, showing them that he is the Messiah, and then attributing those works to Satan, that would be the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And the Pharisees were absolutely blinded um, by God to not believe. And that is said in the scripture several times. Um, that they are blinded as so as to not believe. Uh, Ryan, did that, uh, it, no matter which interpretation you take, basically, if the person, because also the Bible is true, all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. So if someone is truly trusting and relying on the mercy of God to save them, then the Bible is a lie if that person finds himself in hell. So, to the person that truly repents, believes, follows Christ, asks for eternal life and forgiveness, that person cannot blaspheme. So, whatever blasphemy is, if it means telling a you know off-color joke about the Trinity or the Holy Spirit or something like that, like whatever the lowest bar you can think of that would constitute blasphemy, maybe if you just said, even if I question the Holy Spirit, is that blasphemy? Let's just say that. No matter what the lowest possible bar for actually blaspheming the Holy Spirit is, to the person who says, you know what, I want to make sure that's not me, fall on their face before God, repent, believe the gospel, follow Christ, be like, yes, save me, forgive me, give me eternal life, I will follow you, make me your disciple, make me like you. Um, that person is safe because someone who's going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is not going to call in the name of the Lord for salvation because if they did, the Bible would be a lie. So if that helps you kind of like circumvent it, um, to the person questioning, ask for forgiveness, uh, follow Jesus, and that person who does that cannot be someone who would blaspheme the Holy Spirit. But what if they've already done it, Nate? Then they wouldn't do that. So if I if I said to that person, okay, well, repent and believe the gospel and become, you know, just be a Christian without preferencing, without preferencing all the stuff a thousand times, be a Christian. And then if they say, well, what if I've already blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Well, if you become a Christian, that's evidence that you have not. Because if you had, then you would not say you want to be a Christian now. Because you've already done it, and your heart would be, you know, hardened, or you'd be a reprobate, or whatever, you couldn't be forgiven. So then the Bible would be a lie. So that, that's like a, a truth test, right? Not um, that's like an indicator. So if someone's like, I'm worried I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Well, great, become a Christian, and there you go. That means you haven't. And then if someone's like, no, no, I'll think about what you said, but I may do that later. Well, that that's evidence they may be in a sticky place because. Otherwise, they, they could become a Christian and wouldn't have to worry because that would be evidence that they are not a blasphemer. But if they're like, no, 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 I don't want to be a Christian today. Well, maybe that means you already have because you're not becoming a Christian. So, of course, as long as they have breath in their lungs. Um, but if they haven't become a Christian by the time they take their last breath, well, maybe they had blasphemed because they hadn't become a Christian. See what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. But yeah, go, go Ryan, what do you think about that, buddy? Is that, is that a fully orbed answer for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, at risk of, like, 
sounding recalcitrant. I mean, it is it is an answer for sure. I don't. I think I have some questions alongside kind of what Andrew brought up, but I I really don't want to push it. So, as do I. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead and ask some questions if you like. Um, just I guess like so if somebody. Like, I, I don't know, maybe I can just use McGruber's case. So I have a real, a real one, like where he converted and then kind of like John Lee and him were debating. And, you know, a while later, um, maybe like six or seven months later. And John, he's like, Max, like I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit as an atheist every day. Um, so I'm going to go to hell. And John Lee's like, no, you didn't. And he's like, yeah, I did. In fact, I'll do it right now to to prove that I did. And then he he did it. Um, and then so but then he's gotten different answers about like whether he really did it um, in that sense. And in that yeah. day, like, yeah, so I I know that's a very like specific thing, but I think actually a lot of atheists might find themselves like in a similar ish position where like they've said a lot of things that maybe the Holy Spirit like would consider like not, you know, well, like here's blasphemy. the thing, man, is like everybody before they become a believer has blasphemed. Every person has rejected Christ by definition. If they're not a Christian, every person has, you know, rejected the truth of God. If they're not a Christian by definition, and so to say that that would somehow be blasphemy of the Holy Spirit doesn't make any sense in terms of just the logical. <laughs> He's on a phone call. Well, well, if he got a call, I mean, still, like the original original point stands. Like, if you believe the Bible is true about the blasphemy thing and you can't be forgiven, well, are only parts of the Bible true? If you, be- I mean, if you believe in the whole Bible then if you're someone who puts your trust in the Lord, that person will never be put to shame. The Bible says it. So there you go. I mean, unless you're calling, unless the person is calling the Bible a lie, well, Mac or whatever, if you think you've done this, do you trust in God? Do you trust your eternal salvation? Do you trust in the Lord to save you? If no, then maybe you should be worried. If you're like, yes, I, I, uh, you know, I trust the Lord to save me. I trust that Christ has forgiven me and given me eternal life. I put my trust in the Lord. Well, then you haven't blasphemed because you can't. Because if you had blasphemed, you the, you wouldn't be able to put your trust in the Lord. And if you put your trust in the Lord, that means you're definitely not going to, Bible says, be put to shame. So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're calling in the name of the Lord to be saved, you cannot have blasphemed, no matter oh. what you think that may or may not be. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've heard that to you before right now. So. That's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, it's it's a way to prove to like help prove it to them, not because of people being argued, because you know, I mean, like Chris's thing sounds really good. It's like, well, it's impossible to blaspheme Jesus or the Holy Spirit because you would need Jesus in front of you, just like the Pharisees did, doing miracles. And then people will say, no, I've I've been at church services. Like, no, you would actually need like the incarnate flesh and blood Jesus in front of you, doing repeatable, verifiable miracles, and then say that's the work of the devil. That's what you need. Well, that sounds pretty good because if that's true, well, of course you cannot blaspheme. But assuming you can somehow blaspheme the Holy Spirit today, right now, um, if you call on the name of the Lord for salvation, then the Bible is a lie and none of it matters. 
if you find yourself in hell for blasphemy. Because if you're like, no, 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 I call on your name, Lord, for salvation. Jesus, save me. Have mercy on me. Congratulations. A person who blasphemed cannot do that or the Bible's a lie. So it takes man's argument and convincing people out of it because, you know, it's like, what is, what is an opinion? It's like you don't need an opinion because if that opinion is wrong, it's like, ah, I'm going to hell. I blasphemed. But mm. if you if you use the scripture itself, then if you believe the Bible, that's what the Bible says. So for anyone that's like, maybe I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Call on the name of the Lord for salvation. Put your trust in Jesus, and you cannot have violate or you cannot have blasphemed. Otherwise, the Bible's a lie, and the Bible's not a lie. Therefore, you cannot, you have not blasphemed. Uh, okay, so I think if I'm hearing you right, you're kind of you're saying those are not inconsistent because, like, a person who can do that has never done the thing in the in the first place, even if they think they have, just because logically. Yes. Mm. Yes, because if someone, yeah, because if someone's like, well, I think I've blasphemed, then you will never put your trust in the name of the Lord. Because if you mm -hmm. put your trust in Jesus to save you, um, you will definitely be saved. Well, if mm. you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you cannot be saved. So if you blaspheme yeah. the Holy Spirit, you will not trust in Jesus to save you. Interesting. Okay, so there are no, like, words or specific things that will de facto constitute blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It has to be done with a certain, like, intent or whatever that maybe. Well, I mean, what Chrysler was an actual contest, like, the context, like, that's when it really happened. Like, when the Pharisees are following, watching Jesus do miracles, and they're like, and they couldn't deny it. Which is interesting, because a lot of atheists will say... Well, if Jesus was just around here like today and did miracles like he did in the Bible, supposedly, I'd totally believe. There's no guarantee of that. You had people around him right then when he was doing miracles, and because it was right in their face, they couldn't say they don't believe it happened. So what they do? Attributed it to Satan. So, that, I mean, that's, that's not good. So that's the context in which it actually happened. But really, a, a very loose definition is basically don't call something God did the devil. Like, that, that's about as loose as terminology as you can get. So, like, don't call something Jesus is doing a work of the devil. Um, but, yeah. yeah, you can just, I feel like you can hand wave all of that if someone calls on the name of the Lord. They cannot do that um, if they blaspheme, because the person who does that will be saved. People who blaspheme the Holy Spirit will not be saved. Therefore, mm -hmm. they will not call on the name of the Lord. Okay. Thanks. Was it the sorry? I just joined. Uh, was it the charge against the Pharisees or whatever that they were actually deliberately um, saying, yes. doing the stuff in the name of the devil when they actually really knew that it wasn't? So that's, that's what, what it, we're talking about. All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Chris, were you um, are you still in your call or are you back? He's still on his call. Okay. Uh, yeah. Do you have something, Jacob? I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to run. But did you have anything to say? Oh yeah, I just wanted to clarify because I was thinking. Um, I can't remember those passages how they were, but I know Jesus has like some back and forth with the Pharisees, and he thought that they were like hypocrites and stuff like that. But couldn't there be an interpretation whereby those Pharisees actually like misunderstood stuff? Like they actually thought their own Old Testament way was valid, 
And it wasn't really like they actually knew, oh, I know Christ is the real genuine person, but I'm going to now pretend that his works are from the devil. Like, was that really what they were doing? Well, you, I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us um, all of their hearts. Oh, <laughs> Chris said, yeah, someone has him. Hmm. Someone has him blocked. Let's see. Who's the suspects? Well, I'm about to end anyway. But um, the Bible didn't tell us each Pharisee or how many there were that were around this. So, I mean, you know, it may be fair to say a couple of them thought what you what you proposed, but there's no way we could say that's the intent of all of them. Like we see, you know, from, from reading the whole story about Jesus up to the crucifixion, like some of them you could say, well, some of them actually believe. Like, you know, Nicodemus, like, you know, he, he was convinced Jesus was the one. So, I mean, you know, some of the Pharisees were convinced and actually followed Christ, ended up following Christ. Um, but then um, others, I think for the reason you said could have been some, but it could have also been that, uh, you know, their power structure. Like maybe maybe they thought this could be the Messiah, uh, but they weren't sure. Or they thought this is getting in the way of my political power as a rabbi or a rabbinical teacher. So, I mean, there's all kinds of thoughts that could have begun into it. Um, but also there could have been some that just, honest to God, you know, believed that uh, it was blasphemy. And then like the disciples say, like they said, why do you talk in parables? And like John 9, I think. Or around there, they say, why do you talk in parables? And he says, because it's it's like the hearts of little children that God's appealing to. So why this is his good pleasure to talk in basically riddles where some people understand it and other people don't. It doesn't explain why, but it says that's why God says that that's what God wants to do. God can do that. And he quotes from Isaiah 40 something where he says, seeing uh, having eyes, they don't see and having ears, they don't hear. Otherwise, they would turn and be forgiven. So for whatever reason, maybe to fulfill this prophecy in Isaiah, but yeah, there could be a mix and match of everything you just said. Yeah, okay, fair enough, thanks. Hey, uh, uh, but is, I am... Is Andrew, is Andrew there? Oh, what? Is Andrew I'm, still there? I'm here, buddy, yeah. Oh, did you have a good weekend? Yeah, for sure, man. I'm going to have to run. <laughs> yeah, oh, I hope sorry, everyone had sorry, a good weekend. Yeah, I just wanted to ask if Andrew had a good weekend or not. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I hope everyone had a good weekend. Yeah, Nate, thank but, uh, you very much. Thank you for the room, my friend. And I, I, there's another thing I want to talk to you about. We'll do it next time. Sure, I'll be here tomorrow. Can, can you, I, I'm curious now. Can, can you say it so I can think about it? <laughs> well, it's just in line with that whole the, – the, the, the doctrines that Chris holds. And I just really – I think there's a real problem uh, with this, this idea that you can have God um, – predestining people for hell and then saying, well, it's what they would have done. Okay, yeah, that's going to be one for another day. So that's why <laughs> he's predestining them for hell or something like that. And yeah, 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 for sure. There's more to say there. All right. Take care, everyone. Have an awesome Monday. See you hopefully tomorrow. Take care. Later, buddy.